Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Mike Natale. This is Tom Lorenzo. We are the hosts of You're Missing Out, which you know because you're listening to this podcast right now. You may have noticed this is probably titled a little differently. Um, we know that when it comes to the holidays, uh, there's about 50% of people uh, don't listen to any podcast in the holidays because they want to focus on the day itself and being with family. And uh, there's 50% of people who desperately need podcasts on the holidays so they can get away from the family for a little bit. Um, so if you're in that latter 50%, uh, this is for you. Um, we are not putting out a new episode this week because of the holiday, but uh, we wanted to put some kind of content up for everybody. So what you're about to hear is an episode of the previous podcast that Tom and I used to host together, uh, which was also called You're Missing Out. Uh, this is an episode from 2019 uh, where we first sat down with uh, Phil Iscove of Podcast Like It's 1999, who uh, you heard on our original episode, our, our pilot episode of this new show, uh, talking about Sunset Boulevard. Uh, the format of our old show was that Tom and I would pick films for each other that uh, that person hadn't seen and, and see what we thought of them. Uh, but we took a little break from that because Phil was in town and he really wanted to talk about one of his favorite films, uh, Babe, Pig in the City. So we invited him by. We actually uh, recorded at Kyle's old Brooklyn apartment before he was technically producer of the show. And uh, we sat down and had a conversation with him. Uh, Tom and I recently revisited this episode to kind of get a sense of what it was like. And Tom, how did it feel revisiting the year 2019 when we could all sit in a room together? Uh, it was definitely weird, um, because, <laughs> uh, that was recorded in the, right in the middle of a pretty rough time for me, so it was nice to, uh, revisit that time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, and also just the, the, it's weird how much looser, uh, the old show was, now that I'm used to our more regimented and, and uh, well, pseudo-academic I, show. I think it's also because we were uh in person and i mean i think it's pretty clear we were kind of i don't know starstruck like oh my god look we got philip Iscove in, in the room like oh my god how cool is this and <laughs> now know, now I it's mean, you know now we know him it's it's a very different well, it, i mean it, not to say that we weren't gonna say the things we were gonna say like you know i gave bay pig in the city what i say a 60 yeah and i mean it's not like i was gonna lie to the guy but we there was very much a sense of like Ooh, we let's impress this guy <laughs> and i and, and um, i and i don't think we did in any way shape or form but no. uh tom i realized listening back to this we may have shot ourselves in the foot we have a whole chunk at the beginning where you talk about how we used to sneak into comic-con as press and then the next year they denied us a press pass and i'm like oh, you know in retrospect <laughs> perhaps we shouldn't have said that yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. We, yeah, I the, mean, the, we still found our ways in. <laughs> the show's format used to be very different, um, obviously, which is why it's a lot more loose. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's so weird now listening to just how long at the beginning we're talking about every other thing, because this was our first time meeting Phil in person. This is our first time having a real non-written conversation with him. So I think we were all just, it was kind of like catching up as well as, uh, as, as doing the episode. But... To get to talk about Babe Pig in the City was was super interesting, uh, especially because this was uh, this was around the time that Blank Check was doing their March Madness, uh, and there was a huge battle between. At the time, we weren't sure if they were going to do George Miller or Jonathan Demi. I think 
Uh, they ended up doing Jonathan Demi won the tournament, but they ended up doing George Miller much later. Uh, and I will just say that our take on Babe Pig in the City is very different than their show's take on the same film. So uh, yeah, it's and it's it's what no bits. Yeah, but it's it's wild that um, yeah, listening to that and also you know what's crazy? A discussion what? that we have in here uh, where we start talking about Star Wars and the Last Jedi. And a discussion where Phil teases, yeah, uh, we'll see if J.J. Abrams can land the plane. Because not only was it pre-Rise of Skywalker, we didn't even have a trailer at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, real weird <laughs> listening to, like, some of the conversations. And I think that was the big one of just, like, oh, we don't we don't even know what's about yeah. to come. Like, uh, Yeah, we, haven't even, we didn't have Mandalorian trailer. We no. had, like, no idea that Star Wars was going to stop being a thing anybody would ever want to see on the big screen again because uh, <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker murdered the history of Star Wars on the big screen. Well, but I was... uh, The Mandalorian was, was going to come two, three fucking weeks later and be like, oh, hey, no, you'll like Star Wars on your in at home. You'll like it at home. Yeah, because I was... Right after we recorded that episode, I got on a plane. I went out to Burbank and I, I toured the Disney Studios. And then I took, you know, my family and I went to Disneyland. And I remember the Rise of Skywalker trailer dropped while I was. It came out while I was standing in Disneyland. I had to um, crouch by the Main Street Fire Station with my phone pressed to my face to try and see this this trailer, uh, and kind of being like, "Okay, what's this gonna?" I kind of want to go back be? to that trailer now. Because I just want to, I want to be able to see, like, all right, can we see if there's anything like clearly not what happens in the movie or like something changed or whatever? Just because we know now that that's yeah. not the movie that they were teeing up. Um, that that was filmed in March or April when that trailer came out, and what came out actually in December. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's also just re-listening to it. It it is kind of funny how like I loaded it up to re-listen to it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this episode's two hours long! What the fuck? We talked about Babe for two hours, and no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We rambled all. for a long time before we got to Babe, and then even within Babe, we took a lot of detours. Um, not that I think that was bad or anything. I think it's a good episode to listen to of just three it's guys who would, I think, end up. I think we could say becoming friends. Yeah, I know. I, you I mean, know, I, I hope so. We'll, uh, just shooting the shit, being friendly, and you know, kind of doing what n- film nerds do. And um, it was, and it was a very different. The whole show is a very different show. Um, I, 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 I will concede. I, I definitely prefer our new form where we have something to yeah. do. Um, you know, it was, but uh, of the episodes that we did on that old show for about two years, this was one of my favorites, and so it was one of the. It was the first one I wanted to put up uh, for people to hear. Uh, over the Thanksgiving break uh, because uh, Phil was kind enough to join us. And of course, he's been a guest uh, on on this new version of the show with Sunset Boulevard. So I wanted folks to hear that. Uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear this one, a little throwback to 2019 when we could all be in the same space. Uh, Phil Iscove joining us to talk Babe Pig in the City. Um, Hope you guys enjoy it. Missing out. 
So guys, if if you have listened to the show, you probably know or you're aware of the guest that we have on here. Uh, if you've listened in the past, if we have any listeners left after uh, after an episode where I introed it entirely in French, and then whatever the hell you're doing with Sierra, whatever that mess is that I haven't I haven't heard yet. After you did an entire intro in French, and then I spent an hour and a half <laughs> just taking a diarrhea dump on John Luc Godard. <laughs> It was a great episode. Uh, we are joined by uh, by one of the hosts of Podcast Like It's 1999, uh, which we've mentioned on our show several times. Uh, Phil Lisko is actually here in New York, and he is joining us uh, I am. today. I yes, am here. it's uh, we are we are in uh, in Kyle's apartment as usual. We have moved into Kyle's uh, bedroom, so that's a great setup. Totally professional and. Uh, Listen, <laughs> got a lot of Funkos, what else do you need? Yeah, yeah. you know, and a smoke alarm going and off. Smoke that was alarm how we, going off. That was how we started. Yeah, I'm yeah, making a great first yeah. impression. Phil is sitting next to a Porg, which is... Which is the way it should be. I actually have a Porg uh, mug that my writing staff, or my, our writing staff, uh, mocks me up pretty relentlessly. So. All right, because you are, uh, in addition to being the co-host of Podcast Things Are Then, you are a writer for Station 19 on ABC. I am, uh, I yes. am. And you, uh, you created, uh, were one of the creators. Co-created, of, uh, yeah, Co-created yeah. Uh, Sleepy Hollow on Fox. I did, I did. Which, I don't know if you know this, uh, we were in fact, uh, I'll tell us now, we were in fact supposed to meet several years ago because of that show. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, when I was a, when I was like a, just starting out as like a, a aspiring journalist, I got a job writing for a website. Uh-huh. And they got us press past Comic-Con and he was like, I want you to just submit to... Huh. All the press rooms, and let's see if we can get you anywhere. Let's yeah. see if we can get you anything. And I got an email uh, back, and they were like, we want you in the press room oh, for wow. Sleepy Hollow, where okay. you're going to be there, and I think yeah. uh, some of the cast is going to be there. And I was r- like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm, I'm going to be a real uh-huh. journalist in the press room. And uh, then had the realization that, at that point, I had not seen an episode of the show. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, and then was frantic, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Uh, ended up emailing my friend Carrie, who you've uh, you were nice enough to send a happy birthday with uh, on yes, Twitter, yes, Carrie, uh, saying like, "Hey, can we just like put you on or like an old page boy outfit and kind of like smuggle <laughs> you in and pretend to be me uh-huh. and all that?" And uh, I ended up checking out and not going to the oh. restroom. Okay, so right. if, you, if you walked by and you saw an empty seat and you're like, "Why did nobody ask me a question?" You know, you're you're yeah. I didn't notice that. So yeah, you got well, away that's, with that's a plus at least. Yeah, yeah. but uh, well, yeah. well, you know, in hindsight, we can get away with sneaking people in as as press. <laughs> this is true too. I mean, yeah, it's no not, one, it's not no particularly one strict. Uh, it's no. not that strict. No, oh, we know firsthand from when we walked up saying, "Yeah, he didn't get his badge. Can you give him a press badge?" And they just handed me a press badge, and I'm yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not really thinking that it's stuff. Not, uh, yeah, this was a New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I do, uh, I do many, remember being many moons I was ago. there for the first season of that, yeah. Now, let's talk about the, the podcast specifically, because I'm very curious. It sure. Is, I've said it before on the show, it is my favorite podcast. Oh, so I'm very wow. Excited to, well, that's to, very to nice to hear. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah, because well, you, I mean, and you had, you know, one of the hosts of presumably, I believe, one of your favorite podcasts, of Dr. Favorite Podcast, on Absolutely. your show, yes, talking yes, about yes, Toy Story 2. Check is definitely, uh, definitely my favorite podcast. Yeah, and so, and now you're on here, and I guess that we're going to pay it forward if anybody is, uh, if this show is anybody's <laughs> favorite show, uh, we'll be... Fucking well, uh, surprised. Turns, but, so, um, and if it is, we're not flying to Hong Kong. Apparently, all of our fans. <laughs> we, are all your fans are twenty-five percent of our listeners are in Japan, and we cannot figure this Interesting. out. Interesting. We're still mystified. Well, uh, they love Godard. I, I guess. I, mean, I, I guess I really my my disdain only, for his, his taste <laughs> is very transient. People, people love a contentious podcast. That's oh, it yeah. gets it gets that's there. Well, that's that's what I, I find kind of fun about about your show, and we've mm-hmm. talked about it on ours. Is that there is a kind of similar dynamic of how many times I've I've. Heard, heard you kind of go okay, and let's get back to the topic. No, but like, really, I think this reminds me of Trump, and I got to yeah. get into this, and I got to. And you're like, okay, <laughs> it, it, it happens from time to time. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we live in we live in strange times, so uh, you know, you find certain things in certain movies, but uh, I, you know, I, I try to keep us on track when I can. 
I, I will never forget just getting a message before the Toy Story 2 episode came out, and you're like, I don't know how we got here. They started talking about school shootings. I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I yeah, just, yeah, oh. yeah. No, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, even Griffin admitted, he was like, I, this is what, was not what I was expecting to talk about. But <laughs> but it was a fair point, what he was, what he was getting at. So, so let's talk about... When, where did the idea for this particular show come about? Was it that you and Kenny had wanted to do a show together for a while, and you were looking for an idea, or was it specifically this? You know, we Kenny and I talked... I mean, so Kenny and I, um, we met as assistants at UTA um, in, in Los Angeles, and uh, both, you know, writers trying to sort of figure out our way in the business and what have you, and Kenny got a job on, uh, on Entourage, um, and then I eventually um, was able to sell Sleepy Hollow and, and make that happen. And, and so there was there were swaths of time where Kenny and I were both either in between seasons or, or potentially even developing or unemployed. And we had lunches a lot, like basically once a week for, God, probably going on a close to a year. And we would just talk movies and talk television, whatever. And then we both, truthfully, both started listening to Blank Check. And we both were just like, why, why aren't we doing a podcast? And then in terms of how the 99 of it all happened, I, I wish that I could tell you that it was some sort of a lightning strike moment, but I honestly can't even really tell you how it happened so much as that we knew we wanted to do something. Um, and we just started talking about the films in 99, and Kenny's like, wait a second, he just started kind of doing a deep dive into that year, and before we knew it, it just sort of felt like a, an obvious thing for us to do. Yeah, because, I mean, it's one of those ideas that when you hear it, yeah. it's one of those immediate, how has nobody thought of this before? It's, yeah. you know, it's... Because, like you said, when you look back, you just... Even if it's... You ignore the matrix of it all. You just, yeah. like, look at everything that happened. It's and you go, pretty wow. insane. Yeah, you know, we... we um, there's a, a book coming out uh, in about two weeks by Brian Rafferty um, called Best Movie Year Ever, um, which I highly recommend you guys check out when it, when it comes out. And we're going to have him on our podcast as well. But I had coffee with him the other day. And the, the depth of his knowledge, not just of... 99 but of just sort of the interviews he got is just crazy i mean he got to talk to fincher he got to talk to soderbergh um he talked to david o russell and and you know just a, a, a an amazing book of of incredible interviews and what have you but sitting with him for i don't know an hour and a half maybe two hours i was just really struck with um how many ways at this year you can sort of come at it so we've, we've been very lucky that that we sort of you know, figured it out, and 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 now we're watching a whole bunch of publications steal our shit. <laughs> well, I uh, that's that's been kind of kind of fun. I I discovered the podcast uh, purely by accident. Actually, mm. um, I was I was on my on my commute, and I was weirdly I had rediscovered and became uh, obsessed with uh, the greatest film of nineteen ninety nine. Fucking wild, wild, wild west. west. Um, <laughs> I wish you guys could see Tom's face right now. Yeah, it's, we've been living with him. his yeah. Wild Wild West bullshit for like a year and a half now. Yep, he made people at, at I, work. I made the Alamo watching? Draft House Brooklyn screen Wild Wild West on one of their screens while he dressed uh, up like a cowboy. While and I dressed rapped. as Jim West and so celebrated. So is it a bit or is it real? I'm not sure. Is, has it merged like, into something? So I, I have into a like love some mutated into need. some sort of thing. My thing is, I do have a love, and I don't know if it's ironic or not, really, but a love for. Mm-hmm. Franchises that never happened, sure. Like movies that were meant to be franchises. Like I, I weirdly love the Lone Ranger movie. Uh, not even so much as like I think. So okay. You, so you're you, into some sort of weird steampunk western. It's not even. I mean, I I love Wild Wild West when it came out, and one of the things really? when it came. Well, I was nine. That's okay. one thing you have to remember. Like, what, okay. and that's part of what I love about your show, though, is that 
I'm getting to see a time I was around for from a completely right. different light. Right, right, because for right. me, you talk to me about oh, what were the best movies of 99 when I was in 1999. I'm going to tell you it's Wild Wild West, it's the Pokemon movie, it's Iron Giant, and it's Toy Story 2. Like, I don't have... Sure. I was not watching American Beauty as a I was you know, 19 as, as a so 9-year-old. I, yeah. I, sure. I I mean I I was aware of some of them like I was aware of Sleepy Hollow the movie uh mm-hmm. because my dad loved it mm-hmm. and said I'll let you watch 5 minutes of it. But like that's about it. So I loved Wild Wild West then mm-hmm. and didn't understand why people said it was bad because it was there was a giant robot spider. How could there you was a giant robot spider. Yeah. That is true. It's very it's, true. And it, I have gone yeah. back to it just kind of from the idea of like, it, this is a movie, and you guys talked about sure, it can't exist anymore. And like no. people, even people in my job who are younger than me do not understand like, yeah, no, 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 there was a time where studios thought all you needed was Will Smith and he would write a song and that was going to carry a movie. Yeah. And it can't, it, that, there's, yes. they can't conceive of this, that they would spend a million dollars on an MTV Movie Awards performance to promote well, a movie. Well, I, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of a, of a messy masterpiece as much as anybody. I mean, I think that you, there, there are any number of films that you can watch and sort of, and we've watched a bunch of them thus far on our podcast, but uh, as I'm sure you guys have, but movies where you're like, you can see the intent, you can see what the desire is, you can see yeah. what they're trying to go for, and yet the pieces just don't all come together. Um, which is why you know you, you, the spectrum of movie making is is broad. Obviously, there are films where uh, where it all comes together magically and it's just this amazing thing, and then there's times where it's just a complete fucking mess, and then there's stuff in the middle. And and sometimes you see films like I mean, just recently we watched. Uh, I mean, I watched uh, Mystery Men, mm-hmm. and that to me is an example of is sort of something similar to, to Wild Wild West, or at least what you're kind of talking about. This idea of uh, just planets misaligning in a weird way like that film is making fun of the Avengers and the Avengers doesn't exist yet or yeah. at least doesn't exist as yeah. a film it's a film making fun of a genre that just hasn't taken flight yet yeah. so you're watching it just being like you guys are just off by like 15 years basically <laughs> Um, with a tremendous cast of amazing you yeah. know character actors who most likely would never be the Avengers today yeah. um, and it's it's so it's like I just watch it and I'm just like this is just a missed opportunity and I think that Wild Wild West to an extent is sort of a missed opportunity I think that it's a far worse film than Mystery Men in my opinion but I also think to myself like when it's clicking the brief moments that it's clicking there isn't anything like it but so I that's what I found I think you were had just put out hmm. Deep Blue Sea, I think, was the newest episode when I started listening. Yeah, I mean, I think it was like the five. fifth episode, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Deepest uh, bluest. Deepest bluest. My, my shark is like it happened. Yeah. Yep. My, my head is like shark. Yeah, well, and that's, and that's been kind of fun is that there are movies from that era that I'd never watched before your yeah. show that I've discovered. Deep Blue Sea, I'd never seen. Oh, uh, oh my God. Deep Blue Sea has been in my life. Maybe not <laughs> since 99, because I was 9, but maybe 11 when my dad as the sanitation officer started getting like illegal cable boxes <laughs> he would get jailbroken cable box so we had all the pay-per-view channels and all the movie channels and we're like oh Deep Blue Sea oh my god this is just sharp Deep Blue Sea like, has a little bit of and I'm probably going to regret bringing this up but a little bit of John Carpenter in it I, mean, I think I, there's a little, a little bit. bit of that I mean because yeah. Rennie Harlan <laughs> but I, I, as, you know what I mean there's there's a B-movie quality to well, it because as kind of silly as his movies mm-hmm. are Ronnie Harlan does have like a classical filmmaking eye because yeah. I mean like you can see it in his earlier stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street 4 or even yeah. Cliffhanger like, like yes. they're well shot and they're well composed oh yeah I like mean, take away the content therein mm-hmm. he's not like 
you could see why guys like Stallone and him and a hundred percent. It's very, it's a, it's a very sort of like alpha male kind of masculine energy to it. But at the same time, there's like there a little is wink a, in the eye. Yeah, and there's a, there's an artistry to it. You know, on our, our as I'm sure on our on our Deep Blue Sea episode, I fought pretty hard for Ken, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, Kenny's a big Michael Bay guy, or, or more of a big Michael Bay guy than I am, and I, I just I'm bummed that Rennie Harlan never got his due. Like he just never got his shot. Well, it's just it's one of those things where he like Michael Bay never had a cutthroat island that just right. threw him into the. Well, yes. I guess it's unfair to say that Rennie Harlan didn't have his shot. He did have his shot. Uh, I think he deserves another one, I guess. And, I mean, not many people get to say they got to direct the Shane Black script and have what Sam Jackson says is his favorite performance ever. Long Kiss Goodnight is a a legitimately fun movie. It's it's in that weird era where, like, Shane Black movies were really good and very Shane Blackie but you yeah. also know like now seeing what he does with his scripts like yeah. there's a different like same thing with uh, The Last Boy Scout who directed Last Boy Tony Scout Tony Scott like you could see like there's fun and there's like that Shane yeah. Black thing but you yeah. also know like what if he got Fat Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling in, <laughs> in The Last Boy yeah. Scout yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no for sure I, yeah I mean I think that I, I think that hopefully uh, hopefully, D- our episode on Deep Blue Sea got some more people to watch that movie. No, I mean see, that and uh, Talented Mr. Ripley was one that I watched that had never seen it before because mm-hmm. it looked. The problem is for somebody like us and people our age because we discussed we did Talented Mr. Ripley on our show mm-hmm. shortly afterward. I felt bad. I've, I've tried. We've tried very hard to yeah, not it's, do. No, it's all good. The same movies you guys do. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's- I remember I sent you a panic message like, fuck, are you guys doing Bowfinger soon? Because we're doing Bowfinger. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, we haven't uh, done Bowfinger yet. We're, we'll we'll get around it. to it. That'll be. I love, we'll, I love Bowfinger. I love Bowfinger. Oh Finger yeah, too. everybody I, I does accept me. Another episode where I yell at Mike. <laughs> but you're, I will say your show has affected like even how we do this. Just plugged your show up. I'm talking yeah. about. We'll, we'll sit down, and I told you we'll sit down and talk about whatever episode we had just listened to of yours mm-hmm. before we sit down and record the same way you guys are talking about <laughs> well, a blank check. That's very nice to hear. Um, you, you'd think that, but the Green Mile <laughs> episode was a tough time in this. Green Mile's not a good movie. Oh, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm relax, guys. I'm more relaxed there, guy. but this was. This I, well, was let me, let me, let me. Erupted. I, I will just um, say this. I will. I'm, I, I, I don't want to, you know, fight about really anything. But no, if, you I, want, if you guys want to hear Phil and Tom fight, just check their Twitter feeds. At this point, <laughs> it's, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a discussion. It wasn't a fight. <laughs> I, I think that, um, I think the Green Mile is just. Uh, is misguided at times. I think it's it's it is a blank check movie, you know, and, and yeah. sometimes blank check movies can can get away from you a little bit. And I think that there's a good movie in there, and I think I was hopefully clear about that in our episode. Yeah. You know, I think that I I, I think that Frank Darabont's a very talented writer and a very talented director, uh, and I think it's got a, a exquisite cast. I just think that uh, it's just it's, it's it's too long for its own good. In my humble opinion, uh, and it it has a, a, a trope at the center of it that is not great today. By the way, we did not bring you here just to relitigate no, episodes of I the know. show. I hope I, you don't. I, get that. I, get that. I hope you don't think we just got a list no, of grievances. No, no, no. Like, and now let's talk no, about no, no. the story of us. I just, yeah, um, that, yeah that's true. <laughs> well, to, I, I that that one I'm curious about. If I, if I can yes, ask, please, I have to know because I'm just so curious. That seems like if you had to pick the the movie you hated the most you've done on the show so far. Yeah. Is the story of us probably now? A lot of people listening probably don't know the story of us. Like, I'm, I'm sure we have some. People I, who I are, didn't even I, like when I got to that episode. I'm like, what is the what is this movie? Like, and we, then listening to, it, I'm like, oh, I yeah, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this. You don't. I, yeah. I may, I may disagree with these guys a lot, but <laughs> the way they're describing this thing, I, I don't so, think there's so any. So let's get into just what is it about that? What puts the story of us beneath even the things like Chill Factor? 
which is uh, which is also a, a, a really bad movie. Uh, I think for me personally, um, I hold character work at a higher sort of with a higher regard than I do probably action movies. I think I take every action movie with a grain of salt because I think like you know. Best case scenario, you've got a Terminator 2 on your hands or something of, of that ilk. Well, that's an immediate um, suspension of belief you need to right. have with an action movie. Right, and you're either in or you're out. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's a silliness, an inherent silliness to action films. Um, this was trying to be, you know, Story of Us was attempting to be a, a you know, a deconstruction of a, of, of a marriage and of, like, real people going through real things, which I found, which I take far more umbrage with than... Uh, you know, a movie that that is required some sort of, as you said, suspense of disbelief. I look at like Bicentennial Man, which I also admit I don't think that's a good movie. I think that it's possible that David Simpson and Griffin Newman would disagree with me because uh, they've sort of alluded to it from time to time. But um, I, I just, it, it's 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 insane. I mean, maybe that's why they enjoy it. I think they enjoy. I, I remember in my first year of film school, I had a friend. I still have this friend uh, who. Uh, got in a really big argument in our film class about intent mm-hmm. and how important intent is. Uh, and there are some artists that believe that uh, you can strive to make a comedy but make a drama and it still achieves something. Like, when everything is said and done, as long as you've registered some sort of emotion from your audience, isn't that all that really matters? I think David Lynch, for instance, might, you know, submit to that idea. Well, we, we were, were literally, literally just talking s- about that in the car about how about Mulholland, Mulholland Drive, Drive is right. like a movie I can't go out and say it has a great script because it's like I love something Mahal, he made yeah. as a TV show and then just slammed something else into it and it's like oh, we how, all we love we love like, we talked about it's Annie just Hall. one of those things knowing how yeah. it was made it's like with yes. Annie Hall also right like take away the Woody Allen of it all like right. Annie Hall is a movie that's like was supposed to be like three hours long and this yeah. story was supposed to be a little part of it yeah you know, can you actually say it's a good script if it had to like go through these find streets. it in the edit we just don't I mean and, and that's and I don't know the answer to that question yeah, I mean I, right. I, we, we all know um, maybe some of us better than others how arduous the process of making anything is yeah uh, any piece of art goes through writing and rewriting and, and changes and what have you so what is exposed to the quote unquote final product that is exposed to its audience is you know just the point that you stopped fucking with it basically yeah so I, I don't think that uh I assume we can swear on this podcast. Of course, fuck yeah, uh, it's him. I don't know. I, so I've my, abandoned all hope. But like that's that's why I look at something like the story of us, mm-hmm. and I think you 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 tried to do this, and this is what came out of it, and I think that 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 they failed on that regard. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I love a lot of Bruce Willis's films. I think that, as we discussed on, on the on the episode, Rob Reiner's career has a trajectory unlike any American filmmaker probably. Insane. In the, it's it's insane, <laughs> and then it just falls off a cliff. But you know, it, and maybe he comes back someday. Let's hope that he makes another great film. But I think that the story of us was a real nadir. Of uh, it also felt. I don't know if you guys even watched the film. I did. Uh, I, totally fair that, that I make you didn't I know, make but. the the possibly fool's error of I always watch them before you do the episodes, uh-huh. and I will never forget how angry I felt at the end of Chill Factor, of which I got from Netflix the extended edition. Um, I'm sorry, and I heard you guys will go. Don't watch this. Nobody should watch this. This thing sucks. <laughs> and I'm just like angrily like, no, okay. You did, I mean, I, first of all, I, you know, we appreciate you watching all the films. I have. I, but, I, I, but I, I have nothing going. But that's that's fair. 
I, I mean, I, I will say this, that, you know, uh, I try to watch all the films similarly with Blank Check. I try to either rewatch them or watch them if I had not seen them before. Um, but, you know, I, I draw the line sometimes. Just time. I just don't yeah. have the time to watch them all. Um, but uh, especially watching the 370 films we have to watch for, for uh, our podcast. So it's just not always possible. But... But yeah, I mean, I think that I think the story of us is just it's just it's it's just not good. Well, it's uh, like what I think it was Pauline Carroll who said that camp is just failed sincerity. Like you can't purposely <laughs> like yeah. like you can't yeah. purposely make a campy movie. If you're making something that would be descri- purposely described as camp, it's not really camp. Camp then because yeah. camp is like yeah. trying to be serious, but you failed, so it comes off more comedic than you intended it to. Yeah, I mean, th- that's just this one, is like, that is a de- that is a definition of camp. I, mean, I think I that would, you could split hairs on that. I, split, I, yeah. I agree with you because I would yeah. argue. I mean, like let's let's say John Waters intends to make campy movies, but do you guys have a John Waters movie ninety nine? No, because no. no, no. he that was because after like Serial Mom, his career yeah. kind of just wasn't as prolific. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think that I mean, it, camp is a is a weird thing too because I think that that it is associated, you know, generally with gay cinema to a certain degree yeah. uh, which is an unfair thing because I think that it it's almost derisive it almost yeah. feels like people are kind of uh, you know hitting it with a stick that I don't think is fair I think that camp is I mean I, you know I just um, I just watched the first season of Pose Okay, and I think that you could look at Ryan Murphy and you could say that there's a lot of camp in the stuff that he does but I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily his goal, or maybe it is his goal. I think, from time to time, anyway, is to uh, is to have fun in the mm-hmm. sandbox of with Pose. It's it's you know it's it's drag queens and and the like and what have you. Um, with with other you know uh, I don't know. It just it, it seems as though camp is camp should be fun. I think the intent of camp is enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think that anyone is ever going out to to make something unenjoyable and they're trying to make something campy. So, I, And you know. it's, it's kind of funny because I think Ryan Murphy's a good example of the intent thing mm-hmm. because you can watch the first like three seasons of Nip Tuck and be like, this yeah. is a specific tone he's going for. Yeah. But then that back half of Nip Tuck, you go, oh, this is what the, when well, you yeah. don't hit the target. Or like every every single season as we After go episode to episode three of, of American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story. Yes, I mean, I think I, I have I have a a complicated relationship with Ryan Murphy's work because I do find myself loving some of it, like and 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 truly thinking that it's some of the best television. I, I think that Pose is a phenomenal television show. Yeah, that's one of the. Uh, I, I think that Feud was great. Feud was um, amazing. I yeah. think uh, you know uh, both seasons of American Crime Story. I, I think that and 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 episodes and seasons of American Horror Story in the earlier run of it were revolutionary. I think yeah. that. You know, we're we're gonna look back on that first season of American Horror Story. I mean, people already have, but like he changed television yeah. by sort of reacquainting us with anthological TV in a way that made it accessible and yeah. and, and possible. It was at the right moment. You know, you don't have True Detective without the first season of American Horror yeah. Story, whether you like True Detective or not. Yeah. You have True Detective that then changes the game entirely by putting movie stars in an eight-episode season that's directed by the same person for all eight episodes. I mean, it was a game-changer. Yeah. Um, we haven't, unfortunately, seen it as much as I think we would like. HBO's kind of the only place that does it. But still, it, it is, you know, from a format perspective, he changed television um, and continues to do so. Well, it seems like... Because it, it basically seems like he kind of saw the writing on the wall with TV and how there's so much now there's not really like a... Because I just saw an article yesterday where 
when once Game of Thrones ends, that's going to be like the last show we all watch together. Is there really like a, I don't know if that's true. But, I, I mean. it, it, but it's like that idea of there's so much now. Like you could watch a show that is like an award-winning show, mm-hmm. but like you could go through everyone you know and be like, "Do you watch this?" And they yeah. go, "No." What channel is it on? Oh, it's on Sundance TV. Right. Yeah, oh. I think. I mean, there is yeah. something to yeah. the idea of like there are so many more shows now, especially because I just don't have a lot of time. There's so many more shows now. That people are like, oh my god, do you watch this? No, uh, you should. But there's not like that impetus of Game of Thrones. You, if you don't keep up with, you're treated as like a pariah. And there's so <laughs> many shows now that are supposed to be very good, mm-hmm. but like I but, have not had the chance to watch and, Killing Eve. I'm sure I'll but like this, it. Like, it's very, very good. Time. But this like antho- anthology thing that Ryan Murphy saw the writing on the wall is if you have something where you just say that your investment is short because there's a thousand other things you could be watching that's going to yeah. last for seven years. Here's my thing that that's eight episodes and you're done. Yeah, I mean, I think to the, the, that point, the sort of the ability to 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 reimagine, reinvent, and relaunch itself every year yeah. is is perhaps the most important and the, the salient point of what he did. I think that he saw an opportunity to be able to tell a new story uh, each season, be able to relaunch the show with a new cast and a mm-hmm. different theme and a different you know uh, setting uh, that. That's the revolutionary part. Yeah, um, I think that, and 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 yet also then sort of back himself into it's all connected and this that and whatever. But I think that I think there will still be shows like Game of Thrones. I think that either whether it's the Game of Thrones prequel that they're obviously working on, whether it is Watchmen, whether it's something else. I mean, I think that there are any number of shows in the pipeline, either from HBO, FX, or wherever. I think that the, the the issue, I guess, I don't know if it is an issue. I mean, we're we're, we're still seeing the industry kind of fighting against binge television. I think that yeah. it was a very exciting thing. It put Netflix on the map, um, but I think that Netflix is 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 struggling with it. I think that that uh, you can't stay in the zeitgeist if everyone watches every episode of it in four days yeah. or less than that. You know, when Stranger Things goes up on Independence Day. Uh, that weekend, everyone will watch it, and then it will be gone. Then next week, no and then it's gone for it. two years. Yeah, it, it 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 can't exist long enough. So you're seeing now, you know, sixteen twenty episode seasons that they break into two chunks so that they can have it twice a year. Yeah, or something to that effect. Um, you know, you're seeing it with Queer Eye specifically, but with a lot of their programming, uh, I think you're going to see them breaking stuff up into chunks because otherwise they just can't sustain themselves in terms of keeping people talking about it. Um, that's the thing about Game of Thrones, where everyone on Sunday night is going to sit down and they're going to watch it um, to be able to have, be a part of the conversation. Yes. Water cooler TV doesn't exist anymore because of the binge, and I think that you're going to start seeing a lot of places trying you know, to find that in between. You know where it does exist, though? In movies? On ABC, Station 19. So we, <laughs> that's, you gotta, that's, you gotta, that's a nice plug. Thank you got to slip those plugs. Well, I just enjoyed Nothing was great. Yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend tweeted out, like, what TV show should I watch? And it's you, true, and I You made a her. bunch of recommendations. Went, Did you just want to... You never thought to just plug yourself in there, get that residual check? Nothing, I wish. You know? uh, I mean, no. I'm not... Uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's not... I mean, I, I, I appreciate when people watch <laughs> shows that I'm involved in, um, but I, you know, I don't know. It feels icky sometimes. Uh, I do I do want to say before we before we move on to, to what you're here to talk about, sure. of course, you know, uh, we did ask Phil to pick a film that he thinks is either so incredibly good, so remarkably bad, or crucial to the history of cinema that it must be seen. Before we do that, I, I do just want to 
Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you for podcasting. We're huge fans. It has affected we. Um, one of the things that it has done for our show is that Tom and I don't talk about the movies we watch beforehand. We don't okay. want to like spoil the conversation sure. about how we feel. Uh-huh. But uh, we have a code word. I've, I think I've told you this before. We have a code word for when we have nothing to say about a movie. Okay. Which is we'll just sit down like before Amelie or something, and Tom will go, "Yeah, this, this is a real Anna and the King." For the, the two and a half hour or however long Adam the King episode you did, that, that, that <laughs> I think I think an hour in you see Kenny go. Eh, yeah. What do you think about Star Wars? What do you think about Star Wars? What do you think? What's it gonna be? It, it, yeah, that was a hard that's, one. That's our that that is kind of our. It's code still our forward. lowest uh, watched episode. Too. Is it really? Yeah, it it just cannot. It's just always holding up the rear. And we love Jessica Alice, and we were going to have her back on for a much better movie. And and she she was a great guest. It was just it was it was a really. It's a tough movie. It's a, it's, a, it's like a it's a boring movie and and yeah. That's always the so hardest that's, when it's just like yeah. you just go. It's boring. Why? <sighs> it's well, just we, not yeah. working. Yeah. We've had that where yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I wish that it it always made me mad that I'm like I I we had plugged you in in we like we three mentioned your show in one of our episodes and like you guys had like retweeted and you, I know like Kenny listened to whatever and, and the episode that we mentioned it in is. Arguably one of our worst episodes because we front load it with we front load it with Amelie where oh. you just spent the whole time going yeah, I don't like it sucks yeah she's, uh, she's you she's don't like Amelie uh, I, I didn't I didn't like it much because uh, the way I I was watching it is just this weird yeah. French woman helping everyone else and she's rewarded with a men's rights activist at the end. <laughs> A men's rights activist? Because he's this weird creeper that likes to photogra- steal people's photographs and just, like, creep on everybody. All right. That's, it's, that, I, is, well, that is an interpretation of I, I, well, I Maybe it's, it's just... It's <laughs> going to... I think it's, but I think it's going to tie into what we're going to talk about in the next segment, because it is... I mean, there is a lot of Jean-Pierre Junet in, in the, the film that you picked, and it is mm. one of those things where... If if you're locked in from the beginning, you go, yeah, I'll take this, I'll take this ride. It's experience, but you know, if you're turned off from the start of the weird thing it's doing, you're just gonna look at every other weird <laughs> thing and go, what in the yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Jean-Pierre Genet is a is a um, he's an acquired taste. I, I will agree with you, and I think that that is the that is without a doubt his most whimsical movie. Like it is whimsy dialed up to eleven. Yeah, so maybe, if, maybe if that's I'm not your a whimsy man, <laughs> yeah, which is fair. Yeah, and and I think that you know I, I get that. It, it's I, I guess I just feel like. Um, it either warms your heart to like the nth degree, yeah. or you're just you can't connect with it, which is which is fair. Yeah, I, and I think that's kind of just why that conversation feels is just like. Uh, I yeah, we've mean, done we've done plenty. I, there was one we did. I think it was, it was Cloud Atlas, and I just came in and went, "Yeah, I get it." Didn't I, okay. I actually started rewatching Cloud Atlas the other day um, because I I. So you'll be finished by the time Trump's out of office. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I love Cloud Atlas. I saw it in the theater. And did not really get it, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's truthfully basically every Wachowski film since the first The Matrix, Matrix. Yeah. Uh, and every single one since I've now come to just adore. I, I I have blank check to thank for that in a lot of ways. They opened my eyes to Speed Racer in a way that I certainly didn't, and and David Sims' love of the two Matrix sequels certainly helped me oh, yeah. plug into those. No pun intended, in a way that I hadn't before. Uh, so. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, Cloud Atlas. I saw. I was like, Wait, did I just not get Cloud Atlas? And I'm now beginning to think that I just didn't. I have not watched Sense Eight, which I plan on watching now. Yeah, me too. And I saw the they they reshowed um or, or screened uh, the Matrix in L. A. at the ArcLight on uh, on its opening day, March 31st. Um, which also uh, was a transgender, you know, uh, diversity day, or I don't know what the 
proper terminology. And also the anniversary of 10 Things I Hate About You. And also the anniversary of 10 Which we will be doing another episode of that because the flack we've gotten for the first one is just, is, is out of control. So we, I can, I can, yeah, I can imagine. People, we, people we, love people that movie. People love that movie. So we need to have, one a, of we need to have <laughs> a, a oh, fan that was, on. That was one of our, that was one of our angriest text conversations. I was, the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You fucking great, goddammit. I, I think that's a generational thing too. You guys are younger. You saw that film when you were younger. Uh, I, I never saw it in, as you know, as you heard the episode, I never saw it in its entirety back in the day. Uh, so I missed its window of really being a seminal film in my adolescence. So we plan on having somebody who did have that connection to the film on and, and sort of do a 10 Things I Hate About You redux. And uh, we'll do that with other films, too. We're, you know, we, we're hoping to get the director of Jawbreaker to come on and, and talk about that film okay. as well, because I feel like we... Um, misinterpreted that I, th- I mean and, and I will say that maybe and Kenny has said this on many occasions um, which is that he believes one of the things that stands us apart hopefully from a lot of podcasts is uh, we are open to changing our opinion on things uh, oh, which yeah. we try to be we try to have you know to be open minded um, it's why we why we rank the film before the podcast and after the podcast to see whether or not anyone's opinions have potentially changed in the, in the way they saw the film when they came in so we, we try to do that, and we're certainly open to that, and, and um, especially with films that people are very passionate about. You know, I don't, I don't see anybody fighting for Chill Factor, but you know, if someone wants to, you know, the door's open. Um, and with that, we are going to just take a quick break to talk about the, our lovely friends at Audible, and then when we're back, we're going to be talking about the film uh, Phil picked for us to talk about on the show. Sorry. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash missingout and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com slash missingout to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. What should you check out on Audible? Well, in honor of our guest today... Why don't you check out The Legend of Sleepy Hollow as narrated by Tom Meissen, the star of Fox's Sleepy Hollow, co-created by our guest, Phil Iskove. Tom Meissen is described as having a voice that is delicious, according to a review on Audible. Don't you want to listen to a voice that's delicious? Uh, you can find this only on Audible, but you don't just have to pick The Legend of Sleepy Hollow or anything we recommend. You can choose from the many, many titles on Audible. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash missingout. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash missingout for your free audiobook. So we are back, and uh, now we're going to talk about Phil's pick. Uh, this came about, I know the reason we're doing this on the show is uh-huh. uh, is because uh, a fan of Pocket Island asked you and Kenny if you could pick one movie uh, if you could pick a movie from ninety eight or two thousand one or two thousand to move into ninety nine to talk about what would you pick? <laughs> Kenny put up a list. You put up a list. Both of you had Babe Pig in the City, and I asked you, "Is this an elaborate joke? <laughs> what is the? <laughs> Are you fucking with us?" Yeah. And you were like, "No, no, it's it's great." And I had originally hoped. That if we got you on the show, I would finally get to do what even Kenny can't do, which is get you to watch a Fast and Furious movie. No way. Uh, <laughs> no. But, but uh, many have tried. But um, but you said no, 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 Baby Pig in the City. You've got to see you guys. So I told you, fine. You know, if, if you'll come on, mm-hmm. we will talk the Babe sequel. The Babe sequel. Babe Pig, Pig in, in the, the City. Yeah. So do you want to? Uh, when did you see this? How did saw you it come in '99 to- in the it? theater? Okay. Uh, I. Um, I liked the first Babe 
more than I expected to. Okay. I imagine most people were on board uh, in the same on the same page. I don't think that it was a film that anyone expected to become the beloved best picture, best picture nominee. nominee that it became. Um, you know, Chris Noonan really kind of didn't really do anything after that, uh, and you know, it, it was just sort of everyone was like, okay, so they made a Babe movie and like that, and then they announced the sequel. You know, George Miller is a filmmaker who. I wouldn't say at that time I was particularly fluent in his work. I think that I might have seen Witches of Eastwick by that point, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, because his career at that point was in like a weird spot. Yes. Like, because he yeah. only had three Mad Max movies, Lorenzo's Oil and The Witches yeah. of Eastwick. Correct. And I believe that that's all he had at that point. And yeah. so before Bay Pigs, his last movie was like six years before. He has big gaps between his films. Yeah. I think he struggles to get funding for his films, as yeah, you can you imagine. his movies, they don't, they don't make money. Really, well, Aside from like, The Road Warrior and Happy Feet, but even Happy Feet 2 didn't make a lot of money. Well, Witches of Eastwick did well in its, yeah. in its, in its but, like, moment. They, they, he makes movies that like last, like people yeah. talk about forever, yeah. Yeah. but they never make the kind of money you think they make. They always make just shy them. of of a staggering like sum of slam money. dunk money, right? Just like just even shy. even Fury Road. Say what you will, and it's a movie that is you know beloved now, beloved, yeah. and understandably so. Uh, did well, but, but did not do earth shattering numbers. Like people talk about it as if it has the box office yes. that you would think like of Lord of the Rings. Had. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. It's it, it, it's it weird. Is. Well, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that there's a there's an affinity for his work. Uh, it's also, I think, in his work in particular, so idiosyncratic that oh yeah, he he at a, after a while, mainstream audiences might be able to latch onto it. Like mm-hmm. people can watch Road Warrior after like seeing it on TV a few times, or seeing Bay Pig in the City after a while and go, okay, I can I now get what this is. I, I think that in its moment, Babe Pig in the City was basically only loved by Gene Siskel, it seems. And and Roger Ebert. They both really enjoyed it. Well, it's funny because I saw a quote from like 2011 where the head of Universal said, there's only two movies he's made that he's regretted. Yeah. The Wolfman and Babe Pig in the City. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird two movies. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know why, what Myers' deal is against... Um, Against Babe Pig in the City. My, assess- my assumption has that that has more to do with behind-the-scenes drama than it does anything yeah. else. Uh, because I don't think the film warrants that kind of shit talk, quite frankly. No, it but- No, the only thing it warrants is the multiple times in my notes I write, <laughs> what is this, and <laughs> who is this for? And because- does George Miller hate children? <laughs> because I, I, decided- I hadn't seen the original Babe mm-hmm. since I was a kid. You and I talked about this, that... I could not rem- I could not separate in my mind Babe, Babe Pig in the City, and the Disney film Gordy, which all came out around the same time. Sure, like, Gordy. they're all talking Gordy. It's a real Gordy. Film. Fuck it's a re- Gordy. Gordy's a real movie. Yes, it Jesus is. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but and I could. <laughs> it's about a pig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're gonna be like, oh, Charlotte's Web, which yeah. okay. No, but I so I couldn't separate them in my mind. I had no recollection. Um, so I decided to watch the original Babe right before Pig in the City to like kind of yeah no because I'm like let me get yeah. let me get in the tone of this first and Which um, is not a thing not the same. tonally very different movie yeah yeah it's and I I which is weird because I did kind of wonder like because I know Tom when we were in college I think before you had even watched Babe would go on anti Babe rants because it about, wasn't so much anti Babe so much as. Does the Talking Pig movie deserve Best Picture over, like, 
Heat or Seven or the Usual Suspects. Spoiler, it does. Well, that was also when I was in a more, let's say, Jaded? stuffy frame of mind. Yeah, sure. I was in my anti Spielberg, like oh, he's not that. Good. You know, my yeah. college film bro phase. Yeah, sure, sure, I get that. I, I, I mean, I, I, I understand. Um, I mean, this is part of, a, a, I guess, a much broader conversation. But you know, the, the spectrum of movies that are made every year is is insane, right? And yeah. the fact that we create a dog and pony show where we compare this one to this one and say this one's better than this one is is absurd in and of its own right. Yeah. So, and it's easy for film fans to sit around and be like, "How did this get nominated over this?" And and we look at you know we've uh, we did a whole episode on on the ninety nine you know yeah. Oscars and and our issues with. Some of the films that were picked and and why and the political reasons they were and what have you. I mean, you. obviously, so, Cider House Rules deserved it, but everything else. Oh, um, Jesus Christ! <laughs> that, no, it did not. Nothing. Um, nothing I didn't know you guys were doing an Oscar. We did an Oscar film for two thousand eight because yeah. ten years out. And yeah. We met in two thousand eight. We thought to and nothing was was more fun than listening to you guys agonize through Cider House Rules whilst we agonize through the reader. Yep. Which is, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. I mean, you've both, I, both, both bad movies. Have you have you ever seen a, a pro Nazi movie nominated for Best Picture before? This one is, which uh, I think not the humble. Break, I can't say it. Birthed my my greatest line on this show. You can't spell ass without SS. Because the movie sure, starts sure. with just Kate Winslet sex. Have you seen the reader? No, and I don't have any. It is. It, it is. We're not joking. It is. Like, oh, she's a Nazi, but she can't read, so that's fine that she's a Nazi. Not that she regrets being a Nazi, just that she's too stupid to realize she shouldn't say she's a Nazi. It, it does feature my favorite scene of that year, though, which is Ray Fiennes is like, he gets all this money that he was going to give Kate Winslet, but she, spoiler alert, dies. So he goes to one of the victims of the Holocaust that she had, like, kept in the camp. She basically, goes, like, burned her family to the ground in a church, and she's, like, the only survivor. It's like, hey, what, uh, and he I want to give you yeah, he money. Goes, I, want, I want to give you the money, and she and goes, like, no! And so he goes, Shh, I'm not goes, taking this Nazi's he goes, money. I want to use it to, I want to donate it to a school that teaches reading. Are there schools for Jewish children that teach reading? And her response is, they're called they're, schools. <laughs> but, so but she, she goes, goes, like, she goes, yeah, probably. She goes, yeah, there has to be. <laughs> And it's my favorite line reading in this movie. <laughs> I, I I remember I said on the podcast, I'm like, you know, again, and it's, it's an important thing to remember. If I had known that the people who tried to wipe out a portion of my bloodline were Illiterate. unable to read, yeah. I wouldn't be mad anymore. It's an important thing to remember. It's uh, yeah, Woo. yeah, uh, babe, so pig in the city. <laughs> no, so 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 you were you always a fan of it right away? Yeah, I saw it in the theater with some friends, and I remember really enjoying the film. Uh, I went with two good friends of mine, uh, Dimitri Stupos and Kaylee Tessier, and I remember leaving the theater and Kaylee turning to me and saying that Thelonious should get an Oscar nomination. And I don't disagree with that. <laughs> He's really fucking good in this movie. He puts in a great performance. I, I mean, though, no. <laughs> Michael Caine needed to get nominated. Yeah. That's I'm, just, I'm just saying. Uh, in 1998, I'm not sure who the best supporting actor nominations were, but I think Thelonious probably could have... Should have at least been in the top ten. I'm trying to think of '98, what that would have been, because that was the was year of like, Saving, Saving Private Ryan, Ryan and Shakespeare, Shakespeare in Love and that whole. Yeah, what? But who won mess. Best Supporting Actor in '98? Uh, I don't think it was Ben Affleck in Shakespeare in Love. No, it was no, not. No, it uh, wasn't. Uh, uh, I can't think of the top of it. I will figure it out. Yeah, yeah whatever. whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. It was a movie that was really uh, that we just. I, I mean, we were we were George Miller fans to a certain degree, so we went to see it, not really knowing. What exactly we were walking into, um, and I wouldn't say that that I left the theater knowing how great it was then, but 
it's grown in my esteem, and it's a movie that I just don't think enough people really have seen or talk about. Uh, I think it's a much richer, smarter film than anyone gives it credit for. I mean, I think that it is an allegory for immigration and, and any number of other things that they're packing in there. I think that it's... You know, you, you said, does George Miller hate kids? <laughs> and and I know you're joking, obviously, but I, I think that, that there's something to be said for filmmakers that don't coddle kids. I yeah. mean, I think that this movie is probably too scary for a lot of kids. You do have a puppy saying, my human put me in a bag and threw me in the river. You have a pink in a, pool in a, saying, as a I joke took advantage of me. I'm like, oh, okay. That's, well, uh, that's a choice. It's, it's, it's dark, for sure. It is the darkest talking animal movie you'll probably ever find but I respect the fact that he saw an opportunity to make a a sort of oddly humanistic movie about like community and you know animal cruelty and I don't know just it's 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 a really powerful movie and, and I don't, I don't sort of, I understand that it's funny in the sense that I'm sitting here fighting for Babe Pig in the City. I get that. Um, and I feel robbed of the sequel that was supposed to happen, Babe in the Woods, which I really wanted to happen. Oh my God. I, that's I'm one of, just thinking of, one of my notes. doing like Hansel and Gretel and that just. One of my notes was, what in the hell would a third movie have been? But, but which is weird we... that there was supposed to be a, because this feels like the kind of movie where like, almost like Gremlins 2 where Joe Dante was just like, it's silly to make a sequel, so let's just crank things to 11 and see how f- much we can get away with. I guess, I mean, I think part of it, yes. To a, to a certain extent, I imagine the success of the first Babe, which he produced. Uh, and and from what apparently I hear, pulled a directed, poltergeist on that one. Yes, from what a lot more than, yeah, than, than the credits, than would, the credits would indicate. Which is probably why Chris Noonan, I don't think, was nominated for Best Director, if I'm not mistaken. He, he wasn't. I think he was... He was overlooked. Who, yeah, it was some, there was one there was, there was, replacement, but I can't remember who it was. Well, that was the year head. of what it was Braveheart Babe it oh it was uh, wasn't Ron Howard or was it Ron, Ron Howard lost he didn't win I know yeah, he was... won the DGA and he did not win because well, Mel won Mel won director and picture and picture maybe was that Il Pistino Il Pistino yeah, was, was that year yeah, yeah. yeah. Was so anyway someone someone got a nomination and Chris was it, didn't was it Usual Suspects or no because no, only Spacey and McQuarrie got nominated Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's Which, not go down the Brian Singer. Route. We're not going to go. Well, uh, uh, the Usual Suspects, another movie without a director. Yeah, Christopher sure, McQuarrie just wrote a movie that happened. Um, but now, before we get into also any for, uh, to, yeah, to go, James Coburn won, won Best Supporting Actor for Affliction the year. Okay, see, Thelonious was better than than that. I I've not seen Affliction. I have no concept. I have no concept. I've got nothing yeah. for this. That's a weird. Um, who else was in that? Do you Nick know who else was? No, no. Uh, who else was nominated in that? Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll. Okay. We'll go back to it again. Okay. You, that's the one. But I will say on that. You know, that's kind of one of the fun things that that you have that we don't have with your podcast is that there are plenty of films you mentioned that were like big films in its year. That like Cider has rules for you for you know people you know, for you yeah. to carry this weight of like the best picture nominee. Whereas we sit back and go, what the fuck? What was that? I have no concept of what it was. Like we yeah. have no concept because it just died. But before we get into this... Robert oh, Duvall yeah. for A Civil Action, Ed Harris for The Truman Show, Jeffrey Rush for Shakespeare in Love, and Billy Bob Thornton for A Simple Plan. It's a weird nomination. Okay, I'm going to throw this out there right now, and, and we, 
I will I will go to bat because I haven't seen you know half those films. If you want to say Thelonious is better than half those films, <laughs> if you are going to sit here and tell me that you think that it's better than Ed Harris and the Truman Show, no, we are going to okay, go. No. Just making sure. Ed, Ed Harris is God. I, I'm That's, actually surprised that Ed Harris didn't win for the Truman he Show. He should. I love that. I love that. But to to give some folks some insight into Babe Pig in the City, uh, I think we're going to do it the way you guys do it on your show, and I'm okay. just going to read the Google synopsis of it. Do it. Do it. And see how faithful you feel that is as a representation of the film. Uh, when Babe accidentally puts Farmer Hoggett, James Cromwell, in traction, the debtors come looking for their payments. In order to pay their debt, Mrs. Hoggett, Magda Subansky, sends Babe off across the ocean to the city to demonstrate his talents as a sheep herder. Along with his friends, Babe meets a lot of new friends and gets into new adventures. Gee, you don't say Google. <laughs> Google, that-, that was a little... See, and I love our synops. I love that we do that, because I don't even read them beforehand, as I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah. And, and there's times where I'm like, honestly, a robot wrote it. Because, like... Puts the farmer in traction makes it seem as though he physically did it. Like, like, I mean, he, like he, he fell down a well like and he, he hurt that, him, but like it's, yeah. <laughs> um, well, he, and he, sends him across the ocean. Also, it's just insane. Uh, but yes, yes, that is true. All of those facts are true. Babe does unfortunately injure the farmer, and the wife demolishes Esme. <laughs> does Esme takes uh, takes Babe to the city, um, and that those are the things that happen in it. That's, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean that. I can imagine being a parent and going, "This seems like a fun thing to rent for my kid." And then my little kid walks up to me and goes, "A murderous shadow haunts my life." And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh gosh. There, there are some lines, and I've I've taken notes as well. <laughs> I, I love how I, the movie starts with just a line, just like uh, men in suits with hollowed out eyes. They could have only come from the bank. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is. I mean, sure, most <laughs> most kids can, uh, uh, you know, sympathize with that. It's the bank men are bad. It's. I really do think that. Uh, there's also like there's a quote that I want to read from um, uh, from the Decider, which is a, an article that I found talk, talking about the film, saying that it's a harrowing immigrant drama. Uh, basically, um, Baby the City works best as an exploration of the plight of refugees seeking to assimilate in a self-described sanctuary. The proprietor of the hotel must pretend to turn uh, turn to pretend to loudly turn away asylum seekers to her intolerant neighbors. Uh, when the authorities inevitably arrive, Miller's extended depiction of the capture of the unfortunate carries echoes through the times of history. It is a shame that we're headed there again. At the end, when Babe and Esme return to the farm for the film's unlikely conclusion, the film's narrator says it was the pig who brought these two worlds together, two broken halves to make something afresh in a place a little left of the 20th century. Victory... Uh, is not had through contest or conquest, but through Lincoln's better angels of our nature. And it gets there with all the energy and panache of any of Miller's Mad Max pictures. It's a bracing shot of inspiration. The darker it gets, the more important kindness becomes. It could have been made yesterday. And I do think that that's all true. I mean, I think that the film yeah. is is far more... Uh, it's It's far smarter, it's far richer than it probably has any right to be. Part of the reason this film doesn't connect, part of the reason this film was a a box office bomb is you know you can market this film as the way that they market it right which is a cute cute babe sitting in front of all of his friends and the city behind them and you think oh it's going to be babe but he's in the city and like you get that but it, you're hoodwinking your audience yeah. I mean he he made apparently his original um, uh, his original cut of it got a PG rating and then he had to trim it down in order to get a G rating <laughs> So right there, as a filmmaker, you have to be like, we are dancing on a on a, a line here, yeah. Um, you know, and they made the cuts; they got the G rating. But ultimately, like, they're just not making a film that's right for basically children under 
ten. Also, how how did they look at that and go, yeah, this this gets it. There were multiple points in this where I thought genuine tragedies were going to happen. Well, genuine tragedies are going down. Well, you know, okay, but what I, what <laughs> I mean is, like, there's a point, I don't mean to skip too much ahead, but, no, like, I mean. there was a certain point where I legitimately wrote in my notes, is this monkey going to have a miscarriage? It's distinctly possible in this movie that this monkey is going to have a miscarriage and we're going to have to grapple with it. The tone, because the tone of the scene leading up to it, it was ever going was just like there. Although there, one of the babies does almost die at the end. That's the thing. It's like if they, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm not saying I went, oh, the monkey's gonna. But I, at that point, the film had set such a tone yeah. that I would not be surprised if, like, instead of like the babies, it had just cut to like babe being like, "What happened?" And look away. They need to be a little now, and the monkey just looks sad. I mean, and, like, we cut away. That's, so that's fair. <laughs> I mean, the, the monkey, the monkey, Thelonious. I mean, let's call him by his name. Okay. Thelonious is. Uh, I mean, he's grappling with some shit in this movie. Like when Mickey Rooney is taken away uh, after a, a harrowing performance by Mickey Rooney, <laughs> just a really dark performance it's by Mickey Rooney. Crazy, just frothing at the mouth. Yeah. Shit. Like, almost more upsetting than his performance in Breakfast at Tiffany's, but, you know, <laughs> we really got to sort of, I don't know. Uh, but when he's taken away, and Thelonious is just standing at that at the stained the window, glass yeah. windows, just, just you know, grappling with, I mean, he's he's really, yeah, I don't know. Thankfully, we did not have to deal with a miscarriage or anything like no, that. But that's, that's the weird thing about it, is, is, is that they're genuinely, at this point, even though I was all ready for Babe 2, having just watched Babe, and be like, yeah. I like this movie, this is fun. Yeah. That, like, my first note is immediately, like, oh, this is a radically different movie. <laughs> there was a point, I mean, so much so that at one point when the dog, Tom, I assume's favorite character, the, 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 pit bull. the, the Goomba Pitbull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. When, right. the, when the Pitbull's face is hanging in the water and yeah. all the animals look away, yeah. I immediately thought, oh, that's the end of this scene. The yeah. They're just gonna, gonna let this yeah. dog drown. 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 Yeah. I was legitimately surprised when Babe rescued him, whereas yeah. if it was Babe 1, I'd be like, of oh, course this dog's not yeah. gonna die. Like, I'm just waiting for I mean, Babe's literally like, someone... Help me. Yeah. And they're like, fuck. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's so... I mean, it, it was it was akin to, like... It was the experience that I never got to have... Watching this was the experience I never got to have with Batman Returns. Because I grew up with both those movies. Like, the yeah. first movie... I love Batman Returns so I do, too. But the, like, I always... Because like, the first movie I ever saw, like, literally mm. my dad... Had a ch- you know had a son and sat with his with his infant child. My dad had a son. Does make sense. But he would just like sit every night when I was crying, and he would just like sit with me and have me watch Batman '89 on HBO. I grew up with that. I grew up with Batman Returns, so nothing ever felt weird about those movies to me. I never understood why people were bothered by them. It and now watching, makes sense. Uh, wh- yeah, it all makes sense. sense. But I watching Dave yeah. Pig in the City, I get like seeing the disparity between those two and not being used. I got this like. Oh, I understand that idea of like, of like they said on Blank Check, and they're talking about Tim Burton. Of I'm imagining George Miller going into the office, going, "You know what? All right, I think I could do a third one of these." And I'm going, "No, no don't we? No one <laughs> should yeah. ever do what you just. Yeah. This, this hurt children. Why did you do this? Like, you know, I, which is not a criticism of the film. I yeah. just just a yeah. watching it and going, "Oh, this is it's it is it's harrowing. Uh, <laughs> there's no question. It is, and and I think that." You know, I watched that scene. Yeah. And I think, first of all, like, how did they make this? Yeah. I mean, that that is... The, the, the thing that hit me the most watching it again was, how did they physically make this movie? How did they get these animals to yeah. hit their marks? How did they not do horrible things to these animals to get these performances? Mm-hmm. How did they dangle a dog in the water and make it look like it's dying? I mean, it's just... It's crazy. Especially because a lot of it... I mean, you can say, like... 
it's easy to kind of go like, oh, they probably just use puppets, but like the one time they really use puppets in that movie, yeah, they use the, the puppets pelicans babe, uh, sometimes. Yeah, for and babe, the pelicans. and the pelicans, but the, mm-hmm. the, when they use the pelicans, it, they're so obviously puppets. Yes, that... but they look fucking dope. Um, there was they do. There's a there's a a, a line here. Oh. About this scene when Babe is being chased by the by the pit bull, mm-hmm. um, where the narrator says, uh, "In his moment of annihilation, as terror gave way to exhaustion, Babe turned to his attacker, his eyes filled with one simple question: Why? Yep, yeah, that's that's <laughs> in like, my notes too. Fucking Michael Haneke shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so good. Like people, I just I don't know. People, I don't think people know." A, how good Babe Pig in the City is, or B, like, will even give it its chance. Like, I just don't think it's a film that... And this is why it fails. It fails because, yes, Gene Siskel says it's the best film of the year, unfortunately, before his death. You've got Roger Ebert speaking, you know, both of them, effusive about this movie. Um, But you've got other critics that are just being more honest about how dark it is and how it's not really for kids. So you read that and you've, you've killed your box office just by parents being afraid to take their kids to see this movie. And then you're left with like me and my friends that are going to see this because it's a George Miller movie. And you're like, wait, but what is this? It's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing. I don't know how physically they made the film. Uh, he makes some odd choices. The pig faced man at the airport was upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the pig faced judge. The pig faced judge. Uh, yeah. What I what I uh. wonder though is I'm I'm so curious if this film was a hands off thing for Miller or if there were studio notes for it because there are definitely things in it that like the Babe story arc, the pig's arc feels like a very like a very deliberate you know and 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 emotional arc. Mm-hmm. The stuff they do with the farmer's wife at multiple points feels like the studio went. I don't know. Do some do something goofy, some mouse hunt shit. Have her fight a biker gang. I don't know. Let's have her in a clown suit that inflates and she'll swing around. Like just give give us laugh lines for a minute and you can have the pig, you know, ponder exist. Please like, puncture the existential <laughs> crisis you're about to inflict on 7-year-olds. But you say that, which is totally fair, but I would also say that but even if that was the case, Esme is going through a fucking nightmare. Her whole her whole storyline is one horrific event oh, after sure. another. Now they might be funnier, but she's. I mean, I don't know what they do to her at the airport, but it's not pleasant. It, uh, I mean, it's it's it, there's definitely some because that's the thing. I have a note here that's in all caps. Why are there government agents? All caps. Do they think she's smuggling drugs? Like there's an implied cavity search in there. A la a la Beavis and Butthead to America. Uh, you know, I've never seen Beavis and Butthead to America. Well, you're missed. I mean, you're missing I need out. to see sorry, it clearly. Uh, I'm sorry. Did they? they you it's know, a, it's you a guys, blind spot. You guys didn't get that up in up in the. the we did. Think it was, it was released in Canada. I just did not see it. I no, that is. That, no, I don't mean to mock. Like I genuinely wonder sometimes: Are there movies that they just go this? This isn't going to translate anywhere else, right? We can just. Th- thankfully, Canada gets all the movies that okay. get uh, released here. So yeah, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but um, but no, it's like it's. But I I think that the stuff with her yep. they play in an almost like. Like a Jacques Tati kind of like yeah. misfortunes happen, but we're meant to laugh. Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. Like I would agree. Broad laugh, whereas the the tragedies that befall Babe, you <laughs> cannot laugh at because no, you're you, just in, watching yeah, a horror show. Yeah, which is it's funny. <laughs> like this week, I saw I saw Dumbo. Yes, the, the I saw Dumbo. Dumbo, yeah. and that's and there are definitely some heartbreaking moments in that, but yes. But that's that relies solely on 
Dumbo is very cute, and you're sad that he's missing his his mom and this and that. You know, it's it's it relies on whereas Dumbo's with, life is in danger in several oh, moments of that movie. But but the thing and people is, are screaming and throwing shit at him. But with that movie, you <laughs> never really feel like like you spend the run of Dumbo. And maybe it's because it's a Disney movie. Maybe it's because you know the original, or maybe it's just the tone of it. Even though it's Tim Burton, like the tone of it, you're like this. Things are going to work out for this elephant in the end. Like things. Whereas with this one, because of the the dynamics of and just how lost and frightened Babe is. Like, yeah, once you, he's you, once the chef gets him at the end, you really don't know what's yeah, going to happen. It's, it's <laughs> like from like, the oh, and yeah, especially because the chef's going to just just going to prepare him now. Yeah. And it's like, well, that and before it, our very eyes. Part of one of the the brains, I I weirdly like when I saw the sequence of him knocking the basically essentially dropping the motor and the brick on James Cromwell. At first, I was like, oh, this is stupid. Like, in the moment, I went, this is stupid. And then as the film progressed, I realized it was so important that it be that. Mm-hmm. Because what makes the arc that Babe has in this work better than, say, a Dumbo or something like that is that Dumbo is a pure innocent mm-hmm. who is just tormented by a dark Babe world. Babe makes mistakes. Babe is, and he's yeah. haunted by the shame. And he continues to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, the, what happens at the children's hospital is Babe's fault. Now, yeah. he doesn't do it on purpose, obviously, but he holds himself responsible that's for it. That's what makes it great, is that he feels guilt. Yeah. And that's makes it so much harder to watch. Exactly! That's that's what I think is so compelling about it, is that, <laughs> is that unlike, a, unlike a, a a Dumbo, where you're like, oh, he's going to be okay, yeah. you, the, question, the two questions you ask yourself in this is, is Babe going to be okay? And also, will Babe forgive himself? Because you know, he seems I think there's like also he's... something very um, primal, to your point about uh, the movie is a is about the farmer being able to pump water, yeah, on the farm, yeah. Like it's quite simply like that is the line. Like at the end, the victory is the water pump works, yeah. Um, and 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 that idea of sort of that primal qualities of Babe, this like this desire to do good, this desire to try to make the world a better place. Um, it, it's it's. Which is why you can take all of the horrors that happen in this movie, because at the center of it is this giant exposed heart, like this huge, loving creature that just wants other people to be good to each other, and and knows he's fallible. You know what I mean? Understands that I'm the reason that all of this is happening. Um, I mean, the bank was going to foreclose anyway. The bank was going to come for the farm no matter what, right? Yeah. But you know all things being equal i think that babe holding himself responsible and and still trying to do good and not cratering under the weight of the world he puts on his own shoulders is is pretty impressive he's a hero that little pig <laughs> that's it's it's a but it, that's the thing it's that's the one thing and I, I i do think that one of the arguments for why babe pig in the city isn't more well received is the fact that here we are we're having this conversation and and we're right you know you're right and, and all the points you make sense but the minute you take a step back and go we're talking about <laughs> babe pig in the city like you immediately just kind of go like oh yeah. this is yeah. absurd it's it sound like to describe it and say oh yeah babe pig in the city is tackling you know all of these themes about you know the, the immigrant experience and all that sounds like when i go mcgruff the crime dog had an album like you're just kind of like that can't be there's no way that can be can be good but, yeah. but the difference of course being that there is, there is you know well, something in vaping the city whereas McGruff's crime dog album is uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard it but if you want to know about, know about the dangers of inhalants set to 80 synth uh, you know, let me know Christ. I think that part of it too is that I think that 
what's also kind of amazing when you think about it is after Babe Pig in the City, Warner Brothers still lets him make Happy Feet. Yeah. yeah. They still let him go back to the kids' stuff. Um, now, I'm not going to lie, I don't think I've seen Happy Feet in its entirety, and I definitely have not seen Happy Feet 2, which I hear is real weird. I, I haven't um, seen Happy Feet 2. I've seen... I saw the first Happy Feet. Yeah. Um, and it's... It's kind of just a straightforward kids film. Yeah. And it kind of makes me wonder if what happened with Happy Feet was just a matter of, like... Because you see this sometimes where directors will show up, particularly if it's an animated film or a yeah. kids film, where they'll show up at a studio and be like... I know I've kind of been in director jail for it, but here, just let me do this. Mm-hmm. I'll be good, you know. I'll do, I'll do whatever you need me to do, and like they'll do the straightforward workman thing, and then they go, "Hey, you have free reign to do this." And you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know the gestation yeah. uh, or the development of Happy Feet, so I can't speak to it. But I will say that there is some validity to the fact that you know uh, he hadn't really done anything. I don't think he does anything between Babe Two and Happy nope. Feet, right? Yeah, it's like eight years, <coughs> eight years between like it. So I, I, I'm my. My assumption, I imagine, to some degree, had to do with technology, and that you know this tech company that, or the special effects company that he did Happy Feet with, which I assume is in Australia. I don't know, no. um, but you know, uh, it was a huge hit. You know, yeah. and, and, won the, and it, won the Oscar, gave him his only Oscar. I his think. only well, Oscar. I, I know a big. Th- I mean, we know now know is that a big thing that was keeping him busy was he was trying to make Fury Road. Yes, for like twenty years, yes. and, and so sorry, after Babe, yeah. like he. Like, he came close a few times that yeah. he was going to make it with Mel, yeah. and then the fucking desert finally saw rain and turned into, like, the forest, yeah. and he's like, what the fuck? All but right. that was during shooting. Yeah. They shot a chunk of it, and then they had to re... So, but so, I, so, but so. I think that, yes to your point, my guess is that he's trying to make Mad Max, he's trying to make Fury Road, obviously, but Happy Feet sort of Keith puts and, wins in his sails. Yeah, well, and yeah, gives Happy him money, like and it gives thing. him clout to be able to go to Warner Brothers and say... Because apparently... The only reason they would make Fury Road is because he said he would make Happy Feet 2, yeah. which ironically is a failure at the box office, yeah. and then Fury Road you know, comes out of it. And Happy Feet 2 was another weird the city kind yeah. of just, yeah. oh, I gotta make a sequel? I'm going I'll give you a it. sequel. Yeah. I mean, and I, I tweeted this out the other day, and it's, it's true. One of the fascinating things about Babe Pig in the City compared to the original is that, like, even just the... Because I forgot, because it's still... I still don't fully understand it, that even in the first one, like... <laughs> The mice that sing and read the intertitles. Right? I love it, but it's just like one of those things. That I'm like, how? Oh, sure, okay, we're going with this. But in the first one, it's like the mice will just be, you know, their intertitles will just be like the pig and the sheep. And I said, Babe Pig in the City. It's like every intertitle is capitalism is a boot under which the worker suffocates. You're like, your chaos how? theory. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the ones I've written down. One of my notes is chaos. Re- is it chaos? Chaos, or revisit- chaos revisited. Chaos revisited. Chaos revisited. And I think my note there because at that point I was so thrown off by this movie, I said, I have never been more enthralled by a film I also think I should rage quit. It's... I love the... I mean, the voice cast is unbelievable as well. I mean, Glenn Headley and Rest in Peace and uh, uh, Stephen Wright. Yep. Uh, Stephen Wright has some... We're in negotiation with this naked pink individual. Yeah. All of his, like... All of his pearls of wisdom that he gives are just unbelievable. Um, I love the skyline being a blend of every city. Yeah. Uh... Which again is saying something. It's saying that we're we're speaking of every city here again with sort of melting pot immigration, you know, um, multiculturalism, all that sort of stuff. Which I which I adore that this movie goes to. Well, that's I mean that's why I, I invoked um, um, Janae. I don't know if we were on mic first, but I invoked Janae. Yeah, yeah. And there is that kind of thing of like a, a lot of his films, especially like Delicatessen or things like that. While the characters are speaking French, 
there's a lot of elements where he kind of does a similar thing of like, I'm just going to put a lot of weird, broad, abstract images in here, and then whatever you culturally latch onto, you mm-hmm. can you can be drawn into it. I think, I mean, yeah. you know, Amelie's pretty distinctly French and just its setting, but plenty of his films that you can kind of you can kind of get drawn to. And I, another good example is um, Snowpiercer. Have you seen? I have seen Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer <laughs> has a thing because it's got that blend of the you know the American lead and uh-huh. the, the French comic that's based on and the Korean action and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's enough there that you never really feel like you're watching an American film or a French film or something like that. You kind of get brought and go like, oh, this 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 is everywhere and anywhere. And I think that with Babe setting itself not in New York or anything, but in Metropolis, yeah. If this movie plays, it plays the same in New York as it does in Paris, as it does in... There's a universality to it, for sure. Yeah. I do think that I, I agree that, that Miller is striving for that with this film. Uh, and yet, at the same time, I think we can all agree that, to your point, he's so idiosyncratic in the way that he makes his films, that they're so unquestionably his, yeah. um, that that specificity can also be slightly alienating. Yeah. Um, I think that that's just sort of the way that he... Uh, he doesn't know how to make a film any other way. You yeah. know what I mean? I think he's just like I. I... So in in that regard, you have to just sort of respect him for having a vision unlike anybody else. I think that Genet, uh, his he's he's had a weird career too. I, I mean, I, I think City of Lost Children is brilliant and Delicatessen, but yeah. you know they're they don't feel like Amelie really. No, um, you know Alien Resurrection. I think is an underrated alien movie, quite frankly. I think that a lot of people, I think now in hindsight, that movie might get a little bit more love than it, it probably did in this moment. It better the more they keep making alien movies. <laughs> fair. Fair. Uh, it also I'm just... sorry, I, I love Alien Covenant. It's one of my favorite Blade Runner movies. Um, <laughs> it's I one of my did, favorite I actually did movies. Sure. I don't hate uh, Alien Covenant, and I actually didn't hate Prometheus. I, I understand why people don't like it, but I, I mean... Ridley Scott and George Miller actually do make sense to have sort of a conversation about them in concert because they do feel like very sort of um, visually rich filmmakers oh, yeah. uh, that that dip their toes in nihilism pretty frequently. Um, but uh, well, yeah, also just guys who know, like you watch one of their movies, you go, "This is them." Like yes. they can't make a movie any other way, and they have a very specific tone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't work. So like, yeah. maybe Baby Pig in the City, you know, for me, it's my first time seeing it. Maybe it'll grow on me. I watched them like I don't know if this works. Uh. It's but it's not because he made a movie that's not him. It's sure. even in like the Road Warrior. There's this balancing act of like deep sense of nihilism, but also some optimism, crazy action, but also some slapstick comedy, and like. This has a lot of those things of like really well done set pieces, like the dogs chasing Babe, or and then you have the slapstick stuff with the the farmer's wife and the deep sense of nihilism, of like oh, why am I about to get mauled by a dog? But then also that optimism, like oh, well, we can come together. So like, I don't know if I think the thing that comes down to Bay Pig in the City is if the if he was able to balance everything into a complete whole. So, like, all these elements work on their own, but it's, like, such a whiplash going from the farmer's wife to Babe getting kidnapped by a nightmare Mickey Rooney to perform in a kid's hospital before setting it on fire, and then getting about to be sautéed by a, a, a chef in front of a society of rich shitheads. It's like, 
is all of this coming together? I don't know. It's my but first I, time. But I, I also need to grow at this. <laughs> I, I also wonder, like, that's the thing. It, there's there's so much... Go- and I think part of it is, if it was a film that existed on its own, if it wasn't the sequel to The First Babe, I wonder uh-huh. how it would have been received. Because The First Babe is just a straightforward, like, family film set on a farm with some, you know, some mystical shit. Uh, and, you know, talking animals and all the second film is like drawn from we, we talked about Janet, but like there's there are some elements of Louis Bunuel in there, and it's just sure. very it's so, so radically different that I wonder if had this thing come out on its own, would it have been better received if people weren't trying he, to compare well, it to we, the first we, one? Yeah, because well, we have yeah. his career to look at now, and he, he's made four Mad Max movies, two Happy Feet movies, pretty much two Babe movies. His thing is no sequel is going to be like any movie, the movie before it mm-hmm. which works with Mad Max because there's a mythic quality and a sort of like maybe this isn't the same Mad Max kind of like the man with no name maybe the Max and Fury Road isn't the same Mad Max from Thunderdome or these are just stories people in the wasteland are telling and details are wrong there's no like connective tissue between yeah, I, them I don't, I don't think he's uh I mean, clearly he's not precious about his franchises. Well, because Fury Road, he's uh, hallucinating about his dead daughter. But you watch the first Mad Max; it's a son. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. So he doesn't really care about that. Sort well, he doesn't of care stuff. about canon. I don't no. think he's a guy who cares about like what is what but was like, in the previous one. The, with, with, but like with the Mad Max movies, those are fine because they feel of their own. Uh-huh. You can watch any of them and not have to watch the others. Babe 2 starts at the end of the first one, so there is a sense of, like, continuity to this. Well, I guess what I would say is they feel like the the yin to each other's yang. Uh, I, I feel like Babe 1 and 2 feel like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I think that the first Babe has some dark stuff in it. You know yeah. what I mean? There no. There is sort of the, the big set piece at the center of that film, which is, you know, fraught with a lot of the darkness that exists in this film. Um... So it just sort of feels like he flipped it a little bit the, dy- the in terms of the percentages. It feels like, you know, rather than the first one being 20% dark and 80%, you know, cute, family-friendly farm movie, this one is 20% happiness or, or, or lightness with the silliness of what's going on with the farmer's wife, and 80% is the darkness that existed. And what's interesting about this one is when you look at it in the broader scope of Miller's filmography, it does yeah. make more sense than the first one in terms of what he goes for in terms of yes. themes because you know you mentioned that Miller you know dips his head into nihilism but the fascinating thing about especially this one is that as bleak as it is uh, we mentioned Batman Returns before and Batman Returns mm. its ethos is kind of just like everyone is the fucking best everybody is batshit insane everybody's like, broken and yeah, everyone's everybody's corny. Corny. whereas the best. it's the best whereas, oh yeah, yeah it's it's the best. but whereas with Big Pink City it seems like the message to that isn't so much like and at least when you think about it, isn't, oh, the world is a terrible place so much as, like, it's showing how bad the world can be, but using Babe as an example to say, like, mm-hmm. we can be good. Yeah. There is capacity well, for this world. Just, it's very just much care. Like, like he, that's all yeah. it takes. It's, he, it's, it's weird that he uses his kids' movies to hammer you over the head with his sociological messages, because this is yeah. very clearly, like, an anti-capitalism movie, especially when, like, before yeah, they get... Yeah. Before they get whisked away, it's all about Babe saying, no, just because the monkeys stole the candy mm-hmm. doesn't mean they get to have all the candy. Yeah. We're all hungry and we're all in this together. We're going to share. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it, it is a, it's, it's a, it's an anti-city movie. It's an anti-city movie. It's anti-capitalism. It's anti-animal cruelty. Like, you know. It certainly is. Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely does seem to be um, 
uh, socialist tenants coursing around it, to be sure. Um, yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, and, cause, and then you watch the Happy Few movies. I mean, if you watch the first one and the second, he's hammering you over the head with it. And you know the climate change stuff and anti-oil. Well, that's kind of why I really wish that. I mean, I don't imagine we ever will get to see it, but Babe in the Woods would have been an interesting. What for would him it have been? Because I don't know anything about Babe in the Woods. What, what all, all, all he said was back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, was talking about if there was a third one that that it would potentially you know be Babe in the Woods, and that you know it would be more about uh, you know him him and the the woodland creatures around the farm and him getting lost maybe and and being more sort of about nature and oh it definitely would have had some like logging company like anti something like that or i mean it's just like to me it's just it's it's kind of a no-brainer like i can see that movie in my head i know what that movie is um and you know i i I doubt we'll ever get to see it but it would be nice i mean we'll see what happens when he's done suing warner brothers for stealing mad max money from him He's gonna make this Mad Max movie. I, they, they honestly would be stupid to not see the reception to Fury Road and just be like, "We don't know the ins and outs of what the lawsuit is," but I, I, I will say, my assumption is he's gonna make this smaller movie that he's making right now, which yeah. I can't remember the name of. It's not like yeah, it's like um, a Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba yeah, movie. It's it's some smaller movie character piece of some sort that he's doing and he'll do that and then I imagine on the other side of that he'll figure it out I feel like Warner Brothers definitely has to see the secondary life of like DVD Blu-ray merchandise well yeah I mean they know they have a franchise on their hands but it's an R-rated franchise and it's and I mean it got like no one else can do it is the thing unless they if they were smart I mean I don't know if they'll ever do this but if they were smart they'd, they'd they do a, a Mad Max CU, you know what I mean? And they just sort of hand off little portions of it to, you know, to George Miller anointed filmmakers and let them sort of play in that sandbox and do some cool shit with that. Well, because, I'm honestly you know, just... Which is which is the thing that we've talked about before, and not to go off, but that is the kind of thing that we kept saying we wish that Warner Bros. would have done with the Harry Potter franchise. But I, think I think they think they are doing that. Well, but they, they went like, hey, we're going to make five Grindelwald movies. I desperately wish they would have just gone, look, this is interesting. Let's just get a bunch of filmmakers and go, hey, do whatever you want in this universe. Like, go, go wild. Yeah, but you need, you need J.K. Rowling's yeah. say J.K. So, Rowling man. saying, ah, surprise, Hitler, you know, likes to have orgies with elves. That's why they're slaves now or some shit. It's like, okay, J.K., I mean, it's sure. it, she. She owns that world. She's she's allowed to do with it what she wants. It's unfortunate that you know, for a bunch of reasons, I'm surprised that you know when all the Johnny Depp stuff started to happen. I'm surprised the guy's a fucking shapeshifter. You could have made him any actor you wanted to. It, and, and it's, it's funny like, too because I've heard about people seeing test screenings where it stays Colin Farrell just with dyed blonde hair, and everyone was like fine with it. But yeah. we working at a movie theater, every screening when he turns to Johnny Depp. Nobody was reacting the entire movie. Uh, when that change happens, everyone starts laughing. Yeah, it's not great. They made they, they, listen. They made a choice. They wanted to stick with it. Uh, it's you know, it's their. It, the movies are. They still make money. They kind of. Fe- it kind. It honestly kind of feels like Harry Potter's in its Star Wars prequel phase of maybe the creator has lost the perspective because she's now yeah. like she's talked. She's like expanding the universe in ways where it's like. Okay, but do we re- like? Do we really need to know that yeah. wizard shit their pants and then just wandered away? I, I mean, I, but, I, that, but that's short the, answer is no. But I mean, I, I do think that I, I don't have the affinity for the hair. I never read the books, so I don't have the same Harry Potter love that a lot of people have. And I intend someday, you know, to, to read the books. Um, I thought the the from the third movie on, where the movies were great. Mm-hmm. Um, I own them all and enjoy rewatching them. Uh, 
you know, I saw the first one, I saw Fantastic Beasts, wasn't good and didn't see the, the new one and didn't care. And uh, it does feel as though we're heading to diminishing returns. I wonder if Warner Brothers at a certain point says we're not doing five of these. You know, the second one did fine. The first one did fine. Like, how are you going to make five of these that just sort of kind of make you a profit? Just sort of incrementally. It doesn't make business sense, so you have to wonder. Um, But, you know, they're going to do it. But that kind of does weirdly tie into what we're discussing now, which is with these, with the the Harry Potter films, like the the Fantastic Beasts and all, it feels very much like a studio-mandated, like, let's make more of these. Let's just do more, because you do kind of sit back and go... You, you know, as much as she may say, like, oh, I've had all these visions, like, she was trying to move away from that world and write a JK? couple of dollars. Yeah, yeah. A couple she, was writing. Then, she, was, she was writing yeah. under a pseudonym. Yeah, yeah. and then, you know, the money called it. Whereas with this, say what you will about it, mm-hmm. very clearly they were like, we need a babe too, and George Miller took the tack of, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have something to say. There's yeah. very, there's I'm not going to half it. Yeah, it's very clearly like he is working through a lot of his feelings on... on we, we don't know that they... I mean, who knows if Universal came to him and said, we need a Babe sequel. I don't know. I mean, the the, the executive yeah. who greenlit Babe 2 and Meet Joe Black was fired you know, unceremoniously after these two films were released. Meet Joe Black, a movie that got my money. In the theater? My, you, wow. let's hang, he, let's he, remember he one of, his father was one of those people that bought a ticket just to see the Phantom Menace. Oh, that was man. it. That was that was pre YouTube. Yeah. Dad told my mom he's like, we're gonna go see Meet Joe Black and we're gonna go see The Water Boy. And my mom's like, I don't want him seeing either of those. He goes, don't worry about it. We sat, we watched the Phantom Menace trailer, and we walked out. Wow, that's, that's I saw. I I, I, um, I do think I, I'm pretty sure I saw Meet Joe Black in the theater, if I'm not mistaken, and it might have very well been to see the trailer. Um. Another another film you really cool. enjoyed talking about on on podcasts like is that Mejo Black or oh, um, Phantom Menace. Menace? You guys had a blast with that. that was... I you know listen it I I had a lot more hatred for Phantom Menace um, before all the new ones came out. Um, I think the new ones have helped those movies a little bit in some weird way. Uh, they've made them feel quite frankly less um, uh, sort of. It always felt like it was prequels versus originals. And now that there's this whole new kind of batch of other trilogy, sort of other yeah. movies, it's it's made the, the stink, or at least the, the light that's shined on those, not as bright, which is probably a good thing. And maybe we're able to see some of the good in them that we weren't able to see before. Like Watto. Like Watto. No, not Watto. Like um, the entirety I'm, of Attack of the Clones. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and ride for them, but I will say, you know, as I'm sure you listened to our episodes, I thought Eric Carrasco, a good friend of mine, was was great. He was a tremendous guest who uh, helped me sort of recontextualize the films and, and, and enjoy them a little bit more, so I appreciate that. Um, I still don't like them. I still don't see myself sitting down to watch Attack of the Clones or, or Sith anytime soon. I think I watched Sith within the last couple of years and was just like, my God. So I don't know. Those movies are, are, are problematic for me. But let's let's get to our, yeah. our little... Uh, do, I mean, does yes. anybody have any like more observations they want to share, babe, before we get to our... Because um, most of my, my notes real quick. Uh, most I of mean, my I notes... I feel like we kind of skipped over the fact that the crippled dog had a vision of heaven. Oh, yeah. I know okay, that's Flea the best. Yeah. Fleelick is, Fleelick the, is best. the best. <laughs> well, uh, after, I, after the Goomba body when, got when, when Fleelick's wheel is... When he, when you think he's yeah. dead. Yeah. And he goes to heaven. 
and he's jumping in heaven. It's, like, it's the best. And then he that's back. my my notes for that are the dog being dragged along on a rope, and then we see its corpse. This movie truly one hundred percent is a nightmare vortex. <laughs> followed by all caps. We see him in dog heaven, but he's not dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. Like I, I think that <laughs> my other note is uh, there's also- a mermaid in the courtroom. Sitting behind the old woman, there's just a mermaid for oh, no no sure. no okay. real explained well, reason. Also, just like that, Fleetwood gets maybe the best post postscript of the movie of just he continues yeah, to chase cars onto, yeah. onto yeah, great. Yeah. trucks and just ride around there, like there the is... little badass he is. Oh, also, mm-hmm. I think this movie's set in the Mad Max universe because when they're rounding up, no, because yeah, when those, they're rounding those, up the animals, the those things? guys, yeah, those yeah, cops are dressed like the cops in Mad Max. I, I, the I, first one, I absolutely I did not agree with that. No. So I, uh, that's why this movie is a nightmare vortex. The world is about to end. There are a couple quotes that I love. Um, all you have is this actual nowness, which I think is one of Stephen Wright's, which I love. Uh, I also love Babe saying, I'm not a pie of any kind. I'm a pig on a mission. <laughs> great lines. Um, a murderous shadow lies hard across my soul is one yeah. of the best lines ever uttered <laughs> by a bit pit bull. Um, and uh, all the animal services stuff is brutally sad. Um one other oh Thelonious when they're busting them out and he's like but I'm oh, not I have dressed to put, yeah I'm not dressed That's... and then they just wait while he puts on his fucking suit Thelonious <laughs> is just better than everybody else I, that's just I mean he just is I feel like we also should mention that this is in that this is like one of the last kids movies it feels like yeah that doesn't just resort to referencing other things. Yeah, yes. that's true. Like, it's not like, meta at aside all. Aside yeah. from like Pixar movies, this this is like the last. Movie I where totally it's just agree like, with that. Oh, here's a Smash Mouth song, yeah. and you know, it's also one of the last ones where the animals, where legitimate animals were used, and they just fucked with their mouths. Yeah. yeah. Now everything would just be CG. They just basically yeah. just fucking Lion King, and it would just all be CG animals, which I mean is what it is. Um, I think the the the, the uh, bungee cord shit with Esme is very Thunderdome at the end. Yeah, that's very. There's definitely a Thunderdome quality to what's going on there, which I loved. Um, and then I love that Thelonious loves Esme, at, and like his the, their silhouettes while she's hanging there. And the mice are singing, "Are you lonesome it's tonight?" It's the fucking best. This movie's just the best. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. So, so before we get into our questions, I, I just want to yeah. ask you one yeah. uh, that I think you'll be more familiar with. So, on a scale of zero to ninety-eight, you know, where would you uh, sure? <laughs> I mean, this movie's this movie's like a ninety-five. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's I, I and I'm as you know on our podcast. I'm pretty, you know, I, I hold back. Kenny tends to be a little bit more. He goes a little bit bigger than I do. Um, what is it, what I used is it to like being on a podcast where you try and stay a little more grounded, and your co-host just can go off into extremes? <laughs> What's that like? I don't know. Don't subtweet me. <laughs> <in front of laughs> I, I I truly think this movie's probably it. It's it's probably. It's mid nineties, between ninety three and ninety five for me. Now, do you, pre- you, I assume, but I don't. Know, you prefer it to the original Babe, or you oh yeah, okay. I like the original Babe fine, but like for instance, um, when I was about to rewatch this film for for this podcast, um, I looked at iTunes and I was going to buy it, and they were they basically there was a, a deal where you could buy both of them for nineteen dollars or just Babe Picking the City for fourteen dollars, and I was like, I'm never going to watch the first Babe, so I just bought the. You know, <laughs> I was just like you know. Whereas I had to rent it in an eight-pack of zany animal movies, including Beethoven the Fifth. That's how unceremoniously they have dumped Beethoven. Babe Pig in the City. It's so sad. There are so many Beethovens. I mean, I was a kid and I liked the first two. There, I guess I really, just, I really uh, tuned into I'm, Charles Grodin. There are, there are, there are so many Beethovens. And there are so many Land Before Times. You have no idea. Oh, I know. There's like fifth, there's more Land Before Times than 
Friday the Thirteenth, which yeah. is a crime. That was that's crazy. If you're gonna end a Friday the Thirteenth in a lawsuit, at least make them let them make a Thirteenth. <laughs> that, I remember like the, one Before of my you start suing for money. Like let it end on a nice, <laughs> on a nice as uh, yeah. they, they say on the Jason Voorhees uh, in Voorhees We Trust podcast, uh, a Jason's dozen. Yeah, I, I, no, I. That was Land Before Time was one of my first like kid film critic moments of like you know when you start becoming critical of movies you don't love everything mm-hmm. like one of them is we're going to talk about this at some point Pokemon the movie had one of those moments for me yeah we're, we're excited yeah. to have you on for yeah, Pokemon I'm excited there, was, there is a thing that happens in Pokemon the movie where even as a nine year old child like, I turned to my parents and went that's that's dumb I don't like. I mean, that. I think we have to. We, we we should record it after seeing the new Pokemon. Detective, oh, Detective Pikachu. Detective, Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu that's, is going to make. It looks. I also. It looks I, I like how you. Great. I like how you say that as though like that's purely a. You know what? For the sake of research and not a. We do not have the time. We're, I'm not going to be here for like a week. We. Do, oh, this is no, impossible. No, no, no. To we'll, we'll, anyway, no, no, we'll figure it out. To, no, to go be, back. But to um, back but to no, Batman. To, to, but uh, yeah. It's no, Batman. Bring back to okay. That was my first like. Oh, this this is bad. Watching, I was seven and watching Batman and Robin. Like, yeah, I now know movies can be bad. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being yeah. like a kid going to Disney World with my family, and they rent a trailer for Land Before Time. I don't know, five or six, and like turning to my grandma and, and in a in you know in a voice that spoke to my roots, going, "How many of these are they gonna make?" You know? Oh boy. But um, but ba- uh, with Babe Pig and City, I'm gonna ask you the two questions we always ask in here. I'm gonna ask it to Tom. We'll answer. Which is Wait, you guys didn't rate it from zero to ninety eight. Oh, we didn't. That's true. I mean, it's our show. We make those. No. Uh, if I if I had to rate zero to ninety eight, now this is tough. Um, I'll I'll say uh, right from the jump. I'll say it's a sixty for me. Ooh, but that's because nice. it's like I said. I think this is such a weird, so much more weird than anything he's ever done. Movie, <laughs> you gotta like grow with it, and maybe like seeing it a second time now, knowing what's that, what sort of existential nightmare I'm about to go into. Maybe I'll be like, okay. Well, we're actually, we're going to do this like a chain letter. We're going to grow to appreciate it, and then we are going to appear on two other podcasts and make them watch it. Spread the word of Babe Pig in the City. (laughs) Just knock on doors, dress like foreman's Have you accepted (laughs) the word of Babe into your life? Um, And if I had to do, I would probably say, I'm going to be, you guys in the middle, I'd probably say about an 85. Listen. I feel like it's, it's. Great. I'm not, you know, I'm not quite where you are, for yeah. sure, but I definitely, and I think that after this conversation, I definitely appreciate it more. Well, I'm glad that I could, uh, so, uh, uh, well, so let me, let me ask you the questions that yes. we always wrap ours up with, and uh, sure. run. one is, when you think of Babe Pig in the City, what is the first thing that comes to mind? If it's, a, if it's a moment, if it's a performance, if it's an image, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Babe Pig in the City? Um, it's, it, it's... It's probably the 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 pit bull scene. That's probably what it, it's it's sort of that whole sort of portion of the film. Him, you know, murderous shadow lies across my soul, and and Babe question his existential crisis that happens in in what he thinks are, are his final moments of living, um, and also just the the orchestration of that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, is just is is just tremendous. So yeah, I mean, I think that's it's. That that and Thelonious are the things that probably stay with me the most. And tell me about you. The first uh, thing that comes to mind with Babe Pig in the city. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be Fleelic Chase uh, just yeah. hanging yeah. on to the truck because it's it's that perfect blend of what the movie's trying to do of like, well, he's a crippled dog, so like that's kind of like fucked up. You don't see that in kids' mm-hmm. movies, so it kind of makes you sad. But he's so happy just latching onto the mud flaps yeah. and just riding along on the yeah. on the truck. He's just like, okay, so like it's that perfect tonal balance that yeah. the movie's going for. 
it's also um, there's the the voiceover with that is um, the Flea can't handle sort of how quiet the the farm life is. So yeah. he's looking he's looking for the juice. He just he gets he's just like the, a, an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I would say I would say for me probably the moment's going to come to mind is uh, Thelonious standing in front of the the stained glass. Yes. That was that was the uh, point where I think that was the point where I hit the way that I watched the rest of this movie, which as I said in my notes, I have never been more enthralled by a movie. I think I should rage quit. <laughs> and like I just at that was the point where I hit like I I had to just go <laughs> in a way that you don't normally get to like especially when you we all watch a lot of movies, mm-hmm. right? You, you you usually know how to take that ride. That was the moment where I immediately had to go like, I don't know how to watch this yeah, no, anymore. I, think, I, think I don't that, know what this is yeah, anymore. I yeah. have to just go. Well, it's a challenging... I mean, I think that that's... I mean, one thing that I would say about Miller's movies are... He is challenging his, his viewer. Yeah. I mean, he's not challenging them like Harmony Corrine, which we talked about, I think, before we were on mic, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's trying to push you, and I, I think that we just we have to, as as viewers, we have to start embracing that more and more and more. Because I feel like right now, as I sit in this bedroom surrounded by a million comic book references, I have to say that like it's swallowing our industry. And as much as I enjoy those films, and I do go and see them, so I'm I am just as guilty as um, maybe not as guilty as, as Kyle, but I'm guilty as as anyone of, of seeing these movies, it, we have to be careful because they're not challenging us. They're not pushing us in any way. They are, and and if we're not careful, we're going to be left with very very few filmmakers who are being given the ability to be able to push us. Well, so. and and it's, it's funny. It's because it's this co- corporate culture of chasing the four quadrants to the point that yeah. you, people can't watch anything challenging. To the, even to the further point, working at a movie theater when Infinity War came out, yeah. there was a lot of people we worked with that didn't like the movie because they thought Thanos was too mean. It's like, oh, well, if he has the gauntlet, why doesn't he just give everybody more resources instead of killing half the people? I'm like, because he's a <laughs> fucking maniac. That's, he's a comic He's a... But, I, but, but I it's like, people... Like, you watch... People can't watch movies now that don't just say what they believe at them. Yes, yes. So, so it's like, everything needs to be... A movie needs to be for everybody. But a movie, like a movie, sure, sure, and I and I also should say that I understand that a large percentage of movie of the movie going public don't want to be challenged, right? They want to go to a movie because they want to escape whatever's going on in their lives. Movies cost so much to see now; they just want a slam dunk, right? It's it's still the cheapest date, but still, I hear you. So there's a part of me that's just like we just like I don't think that George Miller is challenging us that much. I'm not expecting people to go see Harmony Korean movies. That's a challenge that most people aren't up for, myself included, more times than not. But I just think that if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves surrounded by a sea of very easy-to-digest comic book movies or things of that ilk, and, and that's depressing to me. So... You know, I, I hope that George Miller keeps getting to... First of all, he's old, so I hope he keeps making movies and continues to be allowed well, to make movies. Speaking of comic book movies, what the fuck would his Justice League have been? Yeah. It would have been better than the one we got. <clears throat> it would have... It Well, at the very least, the, what ju- that Justice League movie we got didn't have, it would have had a personality. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, yeah. But I will say this to, to counter that, though. I mean, George Miller is a great example of how... I mean, look, you know, he in, managed to make a film with something to say with personality that was challenging... In a very kind of subversive way within the studio system, and we're here. We are. We're talking. When you think about it, 
yes, we're saying, oh, you know, it's just comic movies now, and it's going to be harder and harder to make personal statements, but we're talking about a very personal, very uh, emotionally invested and film with a lot to say that is also the sequel to the Kids Talking Pig movie. So he did... There are ways to do that within that world, and, and to be honest, to be able to do that well is a magic trick that I think that we kind of underrate. Like, I had the original Toy Story on the other day, and I feel like we now take for granted what Pixar was doing starting in the 90s of, like, no, we're going to make something that is emotional, is going to make you feel it, we're going to make you think in a genre and in a medium that you are trained to turn your brain off when you go see. You sure, I, I agree with that. And, and, and you know, I also, it should be said, too, that, you know, uh, a lot of the filmmakers that Marvel is empowering um, with their films are hopefully going to go off and do other things. You know, the one for me, one for them thing. And hopefully we see more, you know, more movies from uh, 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 Taika and any number of other really Ryan interesting Coogler. films. Like Ryan Coogler. Oh, but that, you know, and then he, with Black Panther, did manage to do a lot of... He did. He's going to raise uh, yeah, a lot of interesting I, But, but I, guess, I guess what I'm getting at is we're, we're kind of sitting here making excuses because we yeah. like comic book movies, and that's fine, but, you know, we got to do better. I, I just, I think that we, we have to be careful that uh, we don't slide into this, oh, well, you know, but at least Black Panther said something. You're like, yes, sure, that's great. And I love Black Panther. I don't have a problem with that. But when we start doing that with like, and I mean, I just did it with a Thor movie. I think that Thor Ragnarok is my favorite Thor movie without a doubt. I think it's a great movie. I think that Taika's a brilliant filmmaker. And I hope that he continues to, and clearly he is. I mean, he's making a movie about Hitler. He's going to take swings. Like, he's doing what he's going to do, and he realizes that he has the power to do it. And maybe he's even making Akira, I think. So, like, I think oh, that one there's. Of your yeah. I think that there's ways, to your point, yeah. to use your powers for good rather than evil. And hopefully, a lot of these filmmakers will do that. But we just, we just have to be careful. And I think that George Miller is a guy who, like, listen, he could undoubtedly wrap up this, this lawsuit with Warner Brothers and go off and make another Mad Max movie. My guess is. That Mad Max movie almost killed many people. Yeah. Uh, it was. It's. I still don't know. Steven Soderbergh doesn't know how he made it, so I sure as fuck don't know how yeah. he made it. I think that it's. It is a. It's a, a unbelievable masterpiece of of action and and genre filmmaking. Um, and I imagine he wanted to do something fucking small with characters and just like do a small character thing. And then I hope that he makes another Mad Max movie. And so, then, but then you got to, you know, he makes a Mad Max movie that's a masterpiece and it doesn't hit the way we want. Yeah. Uh, then you also look at blanket right behind you Brian Johnson makes The Last Jedi makes a billion dollars but it's a weirdly divisive movie because he made I a movie that's Jedi. all about saying hey grow the fuck up I love Last Jedi oh, but, no, okay. I, love I it thought too. you said I don't like Last Jedi yeah. and it was quite but nice. he so made a movie him. that pisses some of the fan base off and a lot of people off because he yeah. made a movie that says grow the fuck up leave the past behind this shit is poisoning you well and I think he also yes to all of that you know I, I think that part of the, the Last Jedi argument too was he you know, he he smartly um, wanted to move the needle a little bit. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to deviate much from canon no. when everything is said. And I'm not a canon. I'm not a Star Wars aficionado. I, I I appreciate when people take swings with that series because, like, what the fuck are we doing otherwise? Like, if we they just want to make a New Hope twenty times over or Empire Strikes Back twenty times over, I don't get it. But 
He just tried to move it a little bit. I don't even think he did anything all that crazy. No. And yet, at the same time, people lose their fucking minds. I mean, I was I was rewatching um, Last Jedi the other day, actually, and one of the things that I love that none of people spoke about, or if they did, they they were derisive about it, was the 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 Force talk, like the yeah. way that 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 Kylo Ren yeah. and Rey talk. Not only out of necessity, because quite frankly, from a narrative perspective, he needed these two characters to talk, and yeah. he wasn't sure, you know. But he did it in a way that was clean, but was also just slightly outside a, a, a structure that anyone had seen before within Star Wars. And those little touches, like that, that, that there was a, a vision and a filmmaker and an eye behind it. I love J.J. Abrams. I think he's obviously a genius. I don't have any real umbrage with him. But, you know, Force Awakens was just teeing a bunch of stuff up, right? Like, he just He had, he had the right to ship after the prequels. Sure. Yeah, and he just, that was his job. And, and, he, and he did a, a great job at it, and he just basically, as J.J. has always done in his career, he's very good at planting seeds and saying, go. And giving us great characters for right. a real filmmaker. And like. with, with a great eye. It was beautifully made. It was very well cast. You know, I have really no, not any major problems with Force Awakens. I don't know how he sticks the landing. It's not something that J.J. Abrams has ever done before. But we're going to find out. Now, let's... let's, The second question. Three years later. Uh, The second question. Sorry. No, no. This is what happens when you put solely podcasters in a room. It's just going to be... I know, I know your answer for this, and we do have something for you at the end, but we have something for you. We got you you a gift. Be excited. Um, (laughs) If people haven't seen Babe Pig in the City, do you think they're missing out? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> clearly, I know. Clearly, and Tom, if you've ever seen Babe, can see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With the caveat that you need to know this movie may not immediately grab you and is not easy. It's not the first Babe. It's a weirdo fucking just blank check, just throwing shit at the wall kind of insanity. <laughs> and I think I hope it grows in my esteem over time, but I do think people should see it. I, th- I think I think if you watch it again in five or ten years, I think yeah. you'll appreciate it more. I'll, I'll show it to my children and ruin scar their, them, ruin their lives. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that yeah, I I gotta agree. I think people are missing out. You have officially won me over <laughs> from our conversation of you've got to, it's the it's the Babe sequel. What are you doing here? But I'm just saying, guys. Where, 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 where do you put Babe in a Pig in the City in the Miller? Um, I mean, I think Fury Road is his best film, or at least it's the one that I love the most. Yeah. Um, you know, the the, the early uh, Mad Maxes. I mean, I guess the the three previous Mad Maxes. I, I don't know. I, I I have a very complicated relationship with Mel Gibson now. Um, I, I, I think I, literally everyone. Does. I yeah. No, I'm sure. I I think that there are performances of his that that are so ingrained in me. I mean, I saw Lethal Weapon when I was pretty young. And the first of the weapon movie is just a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so you know, I can't not enjoy him as Riggs. Well, now knowing that he is an actually crazy person, you yeah, now watch him sort of works. try to kill yeah. himself. You go, oh, this I'm is like, just- this makes sense. Yeah. Also, now- we we know you, if you watch the Blu-ray release they did, where they really enhanced the sound, you know he's a homophobe right away because he um. improved a a. a, a- Slur in the film when, the, when, they, when they go to the to the hooker's house and it blows up and Murtar's like jumps on top of him. Mel Gibson goes, "Get off me! What are you a bag?" And you, it's barely audible. It's not even subtitled. Uh, you just go, "Oh, <laughs> he was letting us know who he was right, right off, off the, the bat." bat. There yeah. you go. That's With unfortunate. That yeah, I'm also not. I'm not a big Braveheart guy. Like I, I, I like it fine. I, I, his I, direct his directorial movies are 
you're either in for the big melodrama he's going yeah. for, or you're not. Well, at the melodrama. risk of teeing up a future episode, I'm going to close. All right, everybody, we are, done. we are <laughs> done. <laughs> so, real, real quick, do you have anything you want to you want to plug? For the, where can folks find you? All that. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, please check out a podcast like it's 1999 with myself and Kenny Nybart. Um, you know, watch Station 19. Uh, buy some some Sleepy Hollow. Merch. Oh, have you know? I was I, I watched the first episode. You know. At oh, my, did you? At my grandmother's house. The pilot, or just box. a rando episode? No, like the first episode. I knew okay. it was coming up, and she had a Nielsen box. So I said, "Put this well, on." Well, thank you. We and she went. That. Yeah, that's. We at some point maybe you'll come back and we can talk Absolutely. entirely about why why that's how we decide TV ratings because it does not make sense to. Well, we. Do do you mean why we did or why we still do? Why we still do? Still do? Yeah. As uh, in, just like it seems so bizarre that anybody's like, we should just take what this guy's grandmother watches and extrapolate from that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the answer, and I, I mean, I don't mind talking about this, is ultimately, I mean, at least right now, uh, it is a pretty meaningless metric. Um, it is. It's used. I mean, I guess the the argument for live numbers is advertising um there are very few advertisers that still need live numbers but your uh tv spots for movies tv spots for other television shows things that have a time component it's helpful for people to be watching it live everything else is just sort of like i don't people will buy toilet paper when they buy toilet paper so i don't fully understand why anybody cares about live numbers anymore um you know, you've got your plus threes, your plus sevens, you have your plus three C, which is people that watch it three days later, but don't fast forward the commercials. I don't know who those people are, but they apparently exist out in the world. This is all broadcast stuff people anyway. People crapped out to, to reach the remote. Well, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, you can follow you on... Uh, oh, uh, Twitter. I'm at uh, PMIscove. Uh, we're at podcast like 99 and I'm at PMSGO on Instagram as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NKOAS. I am at RagingBull1990. Do not at me. Uh, we're on Twitter at YMO Podcast. You can find us Facebook.com slash You're Missing Out. Kyle's doing all of our social. He's looking super professional right now. It's very, very much appreciated. He's hiding in his closet. He's hiding in his closet. Please uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, rate and review the show. Remember, Every review we get gets a little step closer to doing the next Hit Me As Hard As You Can, where Tom and I make each other watch films we think will cause each other the most pain. Uh, so, <laughs> please, if you get us up to ten reviews, I get to make Tom watch Mordecai. Please let me have this. I get to make what my watch <laughs> another, another Wendy Griffin movie. Now, that's a question Would, I want to ask yeah, you. Yeah, please, yeah. Uh, if you, out of curiosity... Yes. If somebody turned around to you, because you've been doing the show with Kenny for over a year now, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you, you guys have been doing your show like maybe like six months less than we have. Like we right around, yeah, we, we started right around it, the yeah. same time. Um, if you had to pick a film that you think would cause Kenny the most pain, oh boy! Besides The Departed, which we all know, <laughs> he's been very vocal <laughs> and, and and best movie ever made, Crash. Crash, yes. yeah, yeah. A movie that would cause him pain. That's actually surprisingly difficult. He's a hard person to to guess. Uh, what he will really dislike. I don't. I don't know how he's going to feel about audition when we get there. Okay. I think. Okay. I, I. I wonder if if that could possibly be a painful thing for him. I remember it was painful for me. He he doesn't mind horror movies where I I'm an easy mark, which is that I, I don't like horror films, mm-hmm. so that would be an easy thing to get me with. Um, that's a that's a surprisingly difficult question. Fine. 
So that that that's the end of our show that ended 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, it's fine. Uh, Phil, we're so glad you were here. Um, we're very excited to keep listening to uh, Pockets Like Dead. Next episode, we don't know what we're doing yet because we're recording this before the next episode that comes out. So I don't know what we're... T- I don't know. I don't know what you're going to hear next. I don't know. Uh, uh, we're in a Westworld episode now. I should, I should probably, just to, just to balance Time's out... out of order. Just we're balance, doing Princess Mononoke, so... I was going to say, just to balance... Well, by the time this comes out, you guys will be... Oh, I don't know. Wait, yeah, okay. yeah, we don't know what... Um, we don't know anything. No, I should probably just try and balance else. I should say something that we're doing next week, and then have it be something else, and then you can Twitter DM me and... and, and just, <laughs> yes, yes, my, yes. We've, we've fucked up a couple times on that, our throws. I always feel like such an asshole. No, like, no. hey, just a heads up. No, I, we appreciate it. It's <laughs> happened from time to time. Well, because, we, yeah. We can yeah, fuck we, we didn't mean to fuck up, but we hinted at what's going to be the next Oh, yeah, episode. yeah. But, uh, oh, Tom's going to make Sierra watch Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and Sierra's going to make Tom watch Funny Girl. And then and two, two days, days later, Barbara Streisand like, says, It's okay oh, to touch kids. Oh, we the went, kids okay, wanted that it. Needs to stop. Oh, okay, Babs. That needs not, to go away. It's literally what happened to us at the very first episode yeah, with of our the, podcast. With, uh, yeah, yeah, with American Beauty. American Beauty was supposed to be our so first episode. So we are now doing Mulan instead. Yeah. Instead of Funny Girl. I've never seen Mulan. Really? Oh, right. You mentioned it on Tarzan. Yeah. I hear it's great. I haven't watched it So we will see you guys next time. We don't know what we're doing i'll probably make tom watch something old we'll see uh everybody thank you for listening uh have a happy thanksgiving please stay safe try and connect with your loved ones as best you can in as responsible a way as you can uh you know wear masks uh social distance um maybe maybe just leave a little bit of turkey on grandma's doorstep for her to pick up in a bit whatever you got to do um please enjoy the holiday please stay safe um join us again next week uh december 3rd uh when we will be joined by a good friend of ours sierra webb she used to be uh, on our old show a couple times dear friend who joined us to talk about john ford's the searchers it's a it's a complicated movie uh, and I'm glad she joined us to deal with uh, both the pros and the cons of this uh, complex film. So I'm very excited for that. December 3rd, uh, The Searchers, please join us then.